Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to this Friday edition of the American Journal. My goodness, the show we have for you today. Uh, it's, uh, it's too much. It's just too much. We're going to cover all sorts of crazy stuff. Massacre in Israel. Uh, the, the Jeffrey Epstein of the music industry is what they're calling Sean P. Diddy Combs now. We'll get into that as well. We've got Canadian politicians unveiling secret documents showing cooperation with the Chinese army and creating biological weapons. It's it's an insane day, folks. So we're going to try to get to all of it desperately. I don't know how we possibly will, but we'll start off as we do every day with our daily dispatch. Right, here it is, folks, your Daily Dispatch for Friday, the 1st of March, 2024. From NBC News, producer accuses Sean Diddy Combs of sexual harassment and assault. That sort of underplays the claims being made, and we'll get into it in just a little bit. People are referring to him as the Jeffrey Epstein of the music industry, which makes sense because, like Jeffrey Epstein, P. Diddy is simply a lower rung on the intelligence ladder and creating sexual blackmail for your handlers is exactly what Jeffrey Epstein was employed in as well. So we'll get into that. We'll break it down. We were talking about this last week, by the way, or maybe it was earlier this week before these allegations came out, because this has sort of been an open secret for a while, kind of like Jeffrey Epstein, kind of like his whole ordeal, very parallel structures that go all the way back to uh, the, the 40s and the Jewish mafia and it's all very exciting. We'll get into that a little bit later. Meanwhile, Elon Musk is suing OpenAI over AI threat. In the suit, Elon says, quote, OpenAI Inc. has been transformed into a closed source de facto subsidiary of the largest technology company in the world, Microsoft. Under its new board, it's not just developing, but it's actually refining an AGI. It's artificial general intelligence, a.k.a equal to or exceeding the abilities of humans to maximize profits for Microsoft rather than for the benefit of humanity. Contrary to the founding agreement, defendants have chosen to use GPT-4 not just for the benefit of humanity, but as proprietary technology to maximize profits for literally the largest company in the world. OpenAI Inc.'s once carefully crafted nonprofit structure was replaced with a purely profit-driven CEO and a board with inferior technical expertise in AGI and AI public policy. The board now has an observer seat reserved Solely for Microsoft. So if you remember, Elon Musk was a co-founder of OpenAI. He left when they started drifting away from their initial mission. And we've covered this with the change of the board uh, at OpenAI, but we'll touch on that again in just a little bit. Then we have this story. Good Lord. Israel opens fire on crowd of thousands of Gazans waiting for food, killing over 100. CNN calls the massacre a chaotic incident. Yeah, it's worse than that, folks. Uh, The Palestinians obviously have been starved and driven to extremes by Israel over the last five months. Then Israel itself delivered food aid into Gaza. All of the Gazans ran to get the food and save their starving families. And then Israel killed them. It uh, It was what we call a trap. So we'll get into that a little bit more later. Then we have this journalist faces arrest on four charges over January 6th presence at the Capitol, a blaze media journalist whose recent coverage exposed possible perjury by U.S. Capitol Police in a high profile January 6th trial, a story that we covered a little bit earlier on the show about a week ago. 
He says an arrest warrant has been signed and he'll surrender to the FBI in Dallas today to to face four January 6th misdemeanor charges. And that is just one of a series of anti-journalistic stories that we have today. Obviously, if you're a journalist covering covering an event, I don't see how you can be then charged by the FBI for participation in that event. But that's not the only thing that uh, is destroying the First Amendment in this country. We also have this. Judge holds veteran journalist Catherine Herridge in contempt for refusing to reveal her sources. Remember, she was fired from CBS. CBS confiscated all of her material. She's still refusing to reveal her sources. And so now a judge is holding her in contempt and finding her $800 a day. And this probably has something to do with her coverage of Hunter Biden because our entire system is utterly corrupt and destroying the foundations of our society. We'll be back with more on the other side. Stay with us. All right. Welcome back. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the American Journal. I'm your host, Harrison Smith. Like I said, just more than I can. Let's just get into it. The longer I talk about how much we have, the less I can get into. So let's just do it. I just don't even know where to begin. I don't even know where to begin. We've got AI taking over the world, being sued by Elon Musk, Israel sending in food to the people that they're starving and then killing the people going to get the food. We've got journalists being held in contempt for not revealing their sources and also being arrested for being at a major uh, public event. And, of course, we have the unraveling of just one aspect of the massive uh, blackmail scheme that we call the American music industry. Or American governance. It basically permeated every powerful aspect of this society. We also have the dueling border visits by Donald Trump and uh, President Joe Biden. Some very interesting statements coming out of these speeches. So, yeah, big day, big day today. We also uh, will be joined by John Ward in the third hour. And I'm very excited to get his perspective on a number of these things. Great YouTuber. And meme maker. But let's go first to we got a couple good like compilation videos just to just to cover these things. Because while we're covering the the blackmail operations in the music industry and the attacks on the First Amendment, meanwhile, the run up towards World War Three is happening at an accelerated pace. In fact, I had a I just had a breakdown on uh, X just of, of what is happening in the world go pretty viral as I, you know, just sort of just thinking about all the different things happening all at the same time and how they all contribute to one singular ultimate conclusion. And that is world war three and the deliberate destruction of the American people by force, if we won't go quietly. So we'll break that down here in just a second, but I want to go first to clip number three, as there's a lot of talk these days about Ukraine joining NATO and obviously Putin interview and explaining his side of the position is a nice little compilation is the type of video that everybody needs to be sending to everyone they know that is still for some godforsaken reason falling for the lie of the Ukraine war. This video, I really think, has the ability to pierce through the blood brain barrier like a like a spike protein and get into the minds of people still enthralled in the hypnosis of the deep state war so let's go now to uh, clip number 3 russia's unprovoked invasion of ukraine was actually a, a total fraud from the beginning let's watch 
President Putin actually sent a, a draft treaty that he wanted NATO to sign to promise no more NATO enlargement. That was what, what he sent us. And that was, that, that was a precondition for not invade uh, 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 Ukraine. Of course, we didn't sign that. So he went to war to prevent NATO, uh, more NATO across his borders. Flashback. This is fundamentally not about NATO expansion. It was never about NATO enlargement. It's not about NATO. It's not about NATO expanding toward Russia. This was never about NATO. It's absolutely nothing to do with NATO expansionism. And it has nothing to do with NATO. This is not, not about NATO. NATO. It's not about NATO. It's not really about NATO. This is not about NATO. Seriously, it's not about NATO. This was never about NATO. It was never about NATO. Let's be honest. This doesn't have anything to do with NATO. Nothing to do with NATO at all. Yeah, he's claiming it's like security purposes, but we can see the clear reason. But NATO is not the reason. This is not about NATO expansion. This is about the democratic expansion. Ukraine bans religious organizations. We are protecting democracy right now. Ukraine is banning political parties. Because it's a democracy. Ukraine restricts books and music. It's about democracy. Ukraine won't hold elections. It's about democracy. And it's not about NATO expansion. This war in Ukraine is not about NATO. Not about NATO. It's not about NATO. It has nothing to do with NATO. Nothing to do with NATO expansion. It's not about NATO expansion. Nothing to do with, with NATO. It isn't really about NATO. It's not about NATO. It's not about NATO enlargement. In fact, it has nothing to do with NATO. It's not about NATO encroaching. It's not about NATO. NATO is just a fictitious, imaginary adversary for, for, for Mr. Putin and for Russia. It was never about NATO. That's not what it's been about. It's been about him trying to expand his sphere of influence. Hang on. I mean, the two are not mutually exclusive. Obviously, Russia has wished for a sphere of influence over Ukraine. But if the West had not challenged Russian interests so directly, I think that there, there was a, a chance to avoid this war. Video by Orff. He wanted us to sign a news. promise never to enlarge NATO. We rejected that. Yeah, it was on. It was on purpose. I don't know how to tell you that. It was. It was on purpose. Putin was like, "I'm going to invade Ukraine unless you guys promise to stop expanding." And they're like, "Well, we're not going to promise that." And he's like, "All right, I'm invading Ukraine." And they're all like, oh, "What? No." What? Invading Ukraine? Expanding Russia's sphere of influence? That's not allowed. They're starting a war on purpose, folks, and it's uh, really not all that complicated. But perhaps all of this in context, understanding, maybe we should go back and revisit some earlier revelations about what was going on in Ukraine. In this case, clip number 23 Now that the MSM has admitted, by the way, that the CIA has had at least a dozen bases inside Ukraine, now that you've got NATO members like France and Germany admitting that they actually have special forces on the ground training and coordinating with Ukrainian uh, military, now that you've got Macron refusing to back down from his statement that should things in Ukraine get worse— They would actually send soldiers to directly combat Russia there. Now that all of this is spiraling out of control and heading us like a juggernaut towards World War III, let's go back and revisit this video from all the way back when Trump was president and was being impeached for trying to look into Ukraine and uh, see if we can't glean anything new now that we have all of this newly revealed information. Clip number 23. Let's watch. Overdrive to clean up loose ends. November 16, 2016, two weeks after Donald Trump's victory, 
Joe Biden is on the phone with Poroshenko. His voice tenser now than before. This is getting very, very close. What I don't want to have happen, I don't want Trump to get into position where he thinks he's about to buy onto a policy where the financial system is going to collapse and he's going to be looked to to pour more money into Ukraine. That's how he'll think about it before he gets sophisticated enough to know the details. In other words, Biden does not want Ukraine asking for more money from Trump. Doing so would cause Trump to look into the details. So anything you can do to push the the Pravat Bank uh, um, to closure so that the IMF loan comes forward I would respectfully suggest is critically important to your economic as well as physical security. See, Trump just wasn't sophisticated enough to understand what's going on here. These are like little code words they use. Kind of like how you're not sophisticated enough to understand that men can be women. You just you you aren't enlightened enough. You aren't you don't you're you're just you're kind of like a redneck. You're kind of like a hillbilly. Like you don't understand how sophisticated these things really are. They're not sophisticated. It's it's as thuggish as you can get. You know, uh, we're going to send you money if you fire this guy, right? Just like extortion, straight up. It's not that sophisticated. It's not that complicated. It is a pretty, you know, deeply corrupt. I think that might be a good way to put it. So that was President Biden two weeks after Trump's victory, which I assume means his electoral victory. So I assume Biden was still the vice president at this point. But basically saying, hey, don't get too aggressive with Trump. Don't act like Trump is in on it with all of us because he's not. So if you start asking him for things you'll ask me for, well, he's going to start asking questions and start looking into it, which is what he did, which is why they impeached him the first time because they're all in because they're all in on it, actually. I hope you understand how this works. And, of course, this is just one aspect of various geopolitical manifestations of of deliberate policy of creating World War III with the sole intent and purpose of destroying America. That's the, the point of all of this. We are the bulwark and the barrier to globalist total control, and uh, so they're – I've identified us as the biggest threat and are, are taking out, uh, taking us out as soon as humanly possible. So I had a post on this that went pretty viral over the weekend when it was retweeted by Alex Jones. And I wanted to sort of break it down a little bit and also look at some of the reactions to it, and how bizarre they truly are. So what I said is this. I didn't mean for this post to become giant, but they are starting World War III on purpose and setting us up to lose. Israel is about to invade Lebanon. So this was all in response to this post here. It says Hezbollah hasn't got a chance. And it's a line of Israeli tanks staged on the northern border of Israel awaiting entry into Lebanon. Now, this is obviously a major, would be a major escalation. It does look like Israel is is doing everything it can to wrap up things in Gaza by by killing everyone there as quickly as possible so they can move to the invasion of Lebanon and carry out the same sort of game plan against that country as they are simultaneously. They bombed Damascus yesterday and they bombed Lebanon uh, a gas station yesterday as well. So they're lashing out at all of their neighbors. Again, we'll get into the food, the chaotic situation, a.k.a. 
food trap massacre that took uh, took place yesterday. But again, this is all in response to that video of Israeli tra- uh, tanks attempting to enter into Hezbollah territory or into Lebanon. And l- let me should be clear. Lebanon is not Gaza. Hezbollah is not Hamas. Hezbollah is significantly better armed. The terrain is significantly less conducive to ground operations, extremely mountainous, extremely difficult to pass through. It's it's not the same. And these tanks lined up there probably look to a Hezbollah combatant a lot like the the front wall of a pinata store. It's they're they're gonna get destroyed. It's it's not gonna be good. It's already not going well in, in Gaza. And again, you're talking about a population in Gaza with Hamas that is basically entirely cut off from any allies whatsoever. And yet it's been five months and they still haven't claimed victory. They still haven't won. They've still just ruined their reputation overseas by killing a bunch of civilians and children. It's not going that well. And that's with like homemade weapons inside an open air prison. Hezbollah has been actively arming itself in direct cooperation with Iran and Syria and Russia for the last 14 years since, uh, or even longer since 2006. So anyway, th- this is what that repost that post was uh, in response to. Cause I was just playing it out in my head and going, all right, what happens if Israel tries to enter into Lebanon? And then what happens after that happens and what else is happening around the world? So this is what I came up with. Israel is about to invade Lebanon. They will bomb a crapload of civilians, but Hezbollah will respond very powerfully This will put Israel in a lot of trouble, and the USA will step in to save them. Regional outrage will be maximized, and probably Iran steps in at that point. Meanwhile, Ukraine's counteroffensive has utterly failed, and Ukraine is now on the offensive once again and is wrapping up victories, uh, racking up victories as we move into the spring. Regardless, NATO and America are doing everything they possibly can to provoke direct conflict with Russia, who keeps gesturing menacingly at their nuclear armament, they're actually on video moving nuclear arms to the European borders uh, yesterday. The actions of USA geopolitically continue to drive away allies and unify enemies. Sanctions against Russia are cutting off energy to our allies. India is now going to have to pay a lot more, I guess, or, or are going to be cut off totally from uh, supply of Russian gas that they depend on because of new a new round of U.S. sanctions against Russia, just like what happened to Germany, where we have basically and deliberately destroyed their entire manufacturing industry uh, with our sanctions and also, you know, blowing up their pipelines. So our allies are not exactly benefiting from their association with us and our enemies are being driven together on purpose, right? BRICS has India as a member as well as Russia, Brazil and China. And while India is still very friendly with America and a lot of the West, that might, you know, get a little bit get a little bit rocky when we cut off their energy. So, you know, this is all on purpose. I want to remind you. And our support for Israel in the face of genocide is hugely unpopular globally. As time and time again, we are the sole dissenting voice uh, when it comes to calling for a ceasefire at places like the UN. Meanwhile, here in America, open borders have allowed potentially tens of thousands of enemy combatants to embed themselves inside our borders, specifically from China, but also from elsewhere around the world. Chinese spyware and balloons, for that matter, have been given free reign of our infrastructure. We covered that story a little bit earlier this week. 
Fifth column leftist militias have been radicalized, funded, and or legally protected by federal, state, and local governments, representing a complete and holistic takeover of our system where leftist agitators burning down buildings are actually paid tens of thousands of dollars by the local government who refuse to charge them for their activity and, of course, are supported in all of this by a thoroughly corrupt and and despotic – yeah, that's the right word – despotic mainstream media. The military, meanwhile, has been fully diversified, and it's been purged of vaccine skeptics and Trump supporters, meaning purged of the people most likely to not carry out orders to shoot on American citizens, left with just the most compliant – And dangerous, in my view, soldiers in there. But regardless, the armed forces of America have been cut by 24,000 amid dismal recruitment, which is important when you look at all this stuff I mentioned about the world war starting in Ukraine and and Israel. It's uh, not good that America at that same time is having to downsize its entire military because the American government openly despises the people it expects to fight for them. Non-citizens, because of this, are being now armed and put into uniform. And domestic federal forces like the FBI or the Capitol Police have been massively bolstered, given all sorts of new technology and weapons and abilities to go after American citizens, empowered and explicitly told that the number one enemy that they face are Christian white men. As we know, they have completely reformatted their entire anti-terror program to target me and you and us, you know, white Christian guys, the biggest danger in the world, I guess. So all of this should combine to represent what to me is obviously a deliberate policy of destruction being carried out from within and without America, specifically aimed at classical American citizens, the Americans whose families have been here for hundreds of years, Americans who are only, you know, a generation or two of citizens, they're, they're less the target as much as the people that founded America and believe in the American ideals and have since birth. So they're setting up World War III in a very, very real way, and it's horrifying. It's absolutely horrifying. Now, with that, I want to move to the dueling. Well, should we do that? Yeah, we'll do that because we also have this MSNBC guest, this this Jewish guy that wrote a book called White Rural Rage, just viciously anti-white, racist against white people and uh, crying foul that people are not happy with that. So we'll go to that video in just a little bit because it sort of aligns with the whole World War III thing. But let's go to some videos of the the dueling um, border visits from President Joe Biden and the real president, Donald Trump. We got a couple of videos of these. But I think I think this might be the most interesting thing. I mean, outside of the uh, everything that happened at the border with you know, Trump being actually on the border and meeting with the border patrol and Joe Biden being in some classroom somewhere, I guess, kind of near the border and also doing a great job at walking on a, on a flat area for an extended period of time. The trick is not moving his arms. The trick is that he keeps his arms perfectly, perfectly flat, rock solid at his side. And that allows him to walk without falling, I guess, 
Uh, it's also a sign of Parkinson's, but we won't look into that too much. This clip uh, really has got a lot of people wondering what the hell he's talking about. Or if he just said what we think he just said. Let's go to clip number 11. Here's a little Freudian slip by Joe Biden during his speech at the border. Because a lot of, if you fly over these areas that are burned to the ground, you'll see in the midst of 20 homes that are just totally destroyed, one home sitting there because they had the right roof on it. And anyway, since I took office, FEMA's provided Texas alone. <clears throat> I'm sorry, what? <laughs> I'm, so, I'm Okay. So he's talking about fires, and I, I'm guessing he's talking about the wildfires in Texas, since there have been massive and by the way, kind of suspicious fires in the panhandle of Texas. The most suspicious thing about it is that, you know, obviously, what do you know about Texas, right? Steers and, um, you know, everything that comes from Texas. All I know come from Texas is steers and uh, patriotic heroes. I think that's the way the saying goes. But obviously, I'll need to tell you that Texas is a major producer of beef. And it just so happens that these recent wildfires have taken out the place where 80% of the cattle in Texas graze. So I guess this is just another weird coincidence that happens to align perfectly with everything that the psychopathic depopulationist World Economic Forum globalist technocratic scumbags want, right? So you've got Attorney General uh, Letitia James in New York going after beef producers. Well, you've got Bill Gates buying up all of the land and the companies that produce the beef in order to shut them down. You've got the WEF and the climate psychopaths shutting down beef production in Ireland and the Netherlands and also here in America. You've got a deliberate and multifaceted attack against beef itself as an industry, as a food source. And now you just happen to have a massive wildfires spring up out of nowhere in Texas that kills a, quote, staggering amount of livestock and destroys the grazing land of 80 percent of Texas's cattle. So a little bit coincidental there. Uh, maybe they just have really good luck in the, the the weird, crappy things they want for everybody just happen to uh, align with natural disasters and major crises. Texas wildfires burned through the heart of cattle country, upending lives. A state known for its wide open space has now uh, seen more than a million acres burned in the largest wildfire on record in Texas history with two confirmed deaths. So putting all of that coincidence to the side, Joe Biden just said you look at places that are destroyed and, and wrecked by fire and you'll see a house in the middle that's unburned because it has the right roof. Has the right roof. What, what does that mean, Joe? How how does having the right roof protect your house from fire unless maybe you're talking about the direct energy weapons from space that burn everything except for houses that have blue roofs on them which has been the ongoing theory since maui or even before in california was that a slip of the tongue and then he moves right back to the teleprompter right that was off the cuff when he said that and he's like oh, i better just return to the teleprompter now did joe biden just admit that having a blue roof will protect your house from fire because they're being started by direct energy weapons? I, I think he might have. I think that might have been what happened. Now, of course, a big thank you to Chase Geyser for filling in for me yesterday. Son had to go, go through a, an operation, unfortunately. 
but he's fine. A routine surgery. He is uh, recovering nicely. Thank you for all of your concerns. And thank you, of course, to Chase Geyser for holding down the fort and doing a great job. Honestly, I was blown away by uh, some of his, his coverage, especially the, in the first segment, really the second segment, but the, the first longer segment in the first hour was uh, really a, a master class in what's wrong with this country as he was going through the separation from the Constitution that America's been through. We're going to get into uh, what Israel's up to recently, and I don't want to, uh, I'm not, well, we'll get to it. Oh, we'll get to it. But let me just, let me just give, you, give you a quick little rundown, just some of the stories that we, that we have before us here. As uh, you know, I've said before, we can dig into each one of these in particular, but sometimes seeing it all in a wide angle bird's eye view sort of way is the best thing to do. Uh, New York City housing rents spike as Democrats welcome endless line of illegals. Of course, there's lots of stories about illegals committing murders and rapes and crimes all over the place. That is an everyday thing now. Google has been left in a terrible bind by pulling a uh, AI feature after right-wing backlash. Uh, that, of course, was the AI feature that refused to depict white people. And, of course, as we know, uh, not hating white people makes you a right-wing extremist, according to the to the media. And this has to do with uh, the bind that I was talking about earlier, where it's actually extremely dangerous for these people and their psychopathic, divorced-from-reality mindset of releasing AI because it theoretically isn't affected by human biases and will just spit out facts and reality. And since reality itself is anathema to these people, they have to put in intrinsic embedded biases into it. But if there's a big backlash and they have to remove those biases, then really they're releasing a weapon for their enemies. The people that are dedicated to reality, people like us who tell the truth and actually want what's best for the world. AI could help us get there if it's not hobbled by these biases that they're putting in. So now it's in a terrible bind where it's like, uh, gee, we've got this incredible you know, thing that our enemies could use to disprove everything that we believe and say. And now we have to remove the biases that we put in. This isn't good. So anyway, we'll talk about what's happening in AI, especially with the lawsuit of Elon Musk against OpenAI and a article from the New York Magazine saying ChatGPT and Google Gemini are both doomed. They're both doomed because they're both run by psychopaths. Again, we have white rural rage author blasts anti-gay, xenophobic, anti-democratic, pissed off, uneducated Trump supporters. And then he's mad that they don't like him. Then he's mad that they, for one thing, point out that he's Jewish. He doesn't like that at all. But, you know, sorry, (laughs) stop writing books, insulting the entire country, and maybe people will like you more. Just a suggestion. We'll show you some clips from that in just a little bit. Under crime, uh, Letitia James is just a menace to the earth at this point. Letitia James declares war on beef to push climate change agenda. And you've got the uh, Diddy allegations that we'll get into. We've got uh, crime from illegals, Lima police arrest man, uh, arrest an 18-year-old. Although, wait, I don't know if this is, that might just be a race thing. That might not be an illegal immigrant thing. I think it's just a 14-year-old white girl. Killed by a 
black guy. I think that's what happened there. Railroaded January 6th prisoners teaching constitution to hardcore criminals. An update as to what Joe Biggs, political prisoner, is up to. Uh, Letitia James is trying to get rid of the beef industry. She's also doing something else that I thought I had a story about. It's crazy. She's up to just like a lot of no good. We'll have to get into it. Rice is next. There's another, there's something else that she's up to right now that is equally baffling, nonsensical, other than going after Donald Trump and trying to steal his buildings. Just, it's all, it's all completely insane. Meanwhile, X is quietly reinstating a misgendering rule a year after Musk ended the policy. More um, censorship taking place on X, as we've been observing over the last little while. Uh, Berlin rose back on daycare sex rooms for toddlers to masturbate in privacy. I personally would like to apologize for having to read that sentence on air. But it is the news. Story at Infowars.com. Here it is. Matt. (laughs) Okay, let's do this real quick. (laughs) <laughs> Let's talk about this. Well, in just a second. First, uh, Marissa Hansen noticed at University of Houston they've dedicated an 18-foot-tall naked female figure with snakes and braids shaped like goat horns and arms like tentacles to celebrate abortion and honor Satan. And it's that same demon. It's that demon that we've seen before. It was put on a New York courthouse not too long ago. It's like a human Medusa-looking thing with devil horns and tentacles for arms and i guess this is the god of our new religion now she's disgusting weird looking disturbing and of course celebrating abortion and honoring satan so good to know that the spiritual takeover of america is being reflected in our physical showings very interesting stuff but you know new york attorney uh letitia james Obviously not so concerned with the massive amounts of crime actually dismantling her city and state from the inside. Not so concerned about the rising uh, murder rates. Not so concerned about the rising gun violence and, and armed robberies and, and random attacks against innocent people at places like Times Square where there have been a lot of shooters recently. Not concerned about the collapsing tourist money or the inability of regular New Yorkers to make ends meet while – Illegal immigrants from Venezuela are being put up in five-star hotels and given prepaid credit cards. Not so concerned in any of that actual crime that actually affects people. Instead, she's dedicated her entire career to going after Donald Trump because of his political positions and to destroy him uh, financially so he can't run for president again. But she's also dedicating you know, a good amount of time of trying to destroy the beef industry, the big fat cow. She's a big fat cow herself. Maybe that is the connection here maybe she heard about how the beef industry treats cows and she looked in the mirror and was like i can't let that happen to me what if i become what if i get put in a stable at some point we have to put an end to this i don't know we're just speculating here but i understand she has some sort of sympathy or empathy or or feeling of mutual concern with the cows in the beef industry regardless She's going after the beef industry, she's going after Donald Trump, and she's going after Masterpiece Cake Shop, a Colorado bakery. Why? Because she's a a big fat idiot. That's why. Because she is a, a representative, a manifestation of the downfall of our country itself. That's why. 
She says this, Masterpiece Cake Shop, a Colorado bakery, refused to make a customer a cake when they found out it was to celebrate her transition. This bakery has discriminated against LGBTQ plus people before, and I'm urging the Colorado Supreme Court to stop this transphobic discrimination. Now, luckily, the readers have added context in this community note on Twitter where they say the same customer also asked for a cake with a cake topper described as a large figure of Satan licking a nine inch black phallus, an actual working model that can be turned on when we unveil the cake. So I guess it's illegal to refuse to participate in a satanic sex ritual now. I guess that's how that works. I guess if a man in a dress comes into your cake shop and is like, hey, I'd like you to make a cake that has Satan sucking a big ding dong on it. And you're like, no, I'm not going to do it. Well, I guess you have to go to jail now. Oh, I'm going to call the AG and send you to jail. You're discriminating against me. Make the cake with the demons doing the gay stuff on it. Make it now or you're going to go to jail and Letitia James is going to send your ass there. Okay? America. It's a lovely place to be, isn't it? It's a a hellish world of nonsense run by incompetent morons. And we're just here to report on it, folks. We'll be back on the other side to describe how Israel sent food to starving people and then killed them when they tried to get it. It's just awful. Everything's awful. We'll be right back. Now we're through the show already, and we've barely scratched the surface on all of these, but I hope you can tell. I'm trying to get to as many as humanly possible. It's a a wide swath of news that we have to deal with every day. I hope you can support us in this mission to spread the truth, regardless of how those in power feel about it, by going to InfoWarsStore.com. Bodies is back in stock and 40% off, as well as a number of our other products like Nitric Boost, TurboForce Plus, Winter Sun Plus, all of those 40% off as well. We also have air and water filters, T-shirts, hats, books, DVDs. Get something from InfoWarsStore and know that you are helping to support this singular outlet for truth, free speech, the American way, and uh, some some form of bulwark against the flood of insanity that we contend with on a daily basis. And we'll get into one of the more horrifying manifestations of this insanity here in just a second. But don't let me forget in the next hour to tell you about my theory about what's happening to the UK Royals right now. I have a theory. I have a theory that I've expressed on this show before. Maybe we should, maybe we'll just do that now. Cause we're going to get into the Israel uh, luring everybody with food and then killing them thing in just a second. But maybe I'll do that in the next hour when I have a longer commercial free segment and just talk about some of the other stuff going on uh, around the world right now. Some international news. So according to UAE Exotic Falconry and Finance at Falconry Finance, but they're a good source on Twitter for a lot of uh, stuff, uh, but I haven't really been able to find this anywhere else. Maybe the crew can find something. Kate Middleton, Princess of Wales, has been placed on ventilation after suffering a stroke while in the hospital. She's 42. So is this real? Maybe not. But I, I'm pretty sure she is in the hospital. There's been a lot of stuff going on with the royals. Uh, it's very suspicious, very strange. Obviously, the queen died last year after 190 years in office or in her position. Uh, then the king who replaced her, King Charles, is it? It's the British royals we're talking about here. I have a national um, obligation to not know too much about them or care at all. But regardless... 
I want to point out a, a pattern that seems to take place in 100-year cycles that really all kicked off well, actually, now that I think about it, in the 1600s. But I usually date it to like the um, the Napoleonic era or the, the French Revolution. So in the late 1700s, the 1790s and early 1800s with the Napoleonic Wars, you had these royal houses that have been in place in Europe for a thousand years by that point be overthrown by the revolution in the late 17, early 1800s. And that's a major thing. And it, it threatens to spiral out into the rest of Europe. And you have a coalition of the remaining noble houses come together to stop the revolution from cutting all of their heads off. And like, now that I think about it, I guess this did happen like a hundred years before that with uh, Oliver Cromwell cutting off the head of the King of England in his in the the American uh, or the I'm sorry the English Civil War. So maybe this goes back farther than I thought. So 1600s, you have Cromwell, but that that sort of fizzles out and the the monarchy is is reinstated. Then you have the French Revolution with the French house, the French royal house, the French uh, kingship, the biggest and strongest one in Europe being overthrown early 1800s then in the early 1900s you have the russian revolution the bolshevik revolution and you have the russian royal house and the czar murdered brutally as well as the abdication of kaiser wilhelm and sort of a a, for all intents and purposes end to the royal house in germany around that same time And so I've noticed for a while that like every hundred years, it seems like there's a new massive attack against royal houses in Europe. And I noticed this just leading up to now, but now that we're in the early parts of the 20th century, it seems like they're taking out the oldest and last remaining royal house with any influence in Europe. So like you start three, four hundred years ago, the royal houses are longstanding and extremely powerful. Then you've got the French Revolution. Then a hundred years later, you have the Russian Revolution, the Bolshevik Revolution. And now a hundred years after that, it looks like we're having a dismantling of the last remaining. So basically they'd all been destroyed. By the time World War II was over, basically the only royal house with any importance was the Royal House of England because primarily, in my understanding – uh, it is useful to the international bankers. They they took over. The, they basically took over English, the English government after the Napoleonic War and the purchase, you know, by Nathaniel Rothschild of the entire British economy. I mean, all of this is very complicated, but it does seem to to represent a pattern where every hundred years there's another upheaval where another major royal house or multiple royal houses in Europe are overthrown never to regain their status. seems like maybe the UK royal family is uh, slated to be next. So I find that very interesting. Very interesting indeed. So as we know, the Queen died, uh, Charles or whoever it is replaced her. Now he has got cancer apparently and might not make it very long. 
I don't know what's going on with Kate Middleton. I don't think she has been placed on a ventilator. I think that I think that was a a troll or something. But uh, I do have from February second. Uh, Palace denies report that Kate Middleton was in coma after abdominal surgery, saying total nonsense. She's recovering at home. It doesn't matter that you haven't seen her since December. It's all fine and normal. This was when a Spanish media outlet claimed that Kate Middleton was in a coma and in great danger during a recent health scare. Palosaur slammed the games as total nonsense and totally made up. It's totally normal that she hasn't been seen for a month or two. That's all fine. It's all very fine. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe they're being uh, wrapped up. Maybe the, the last surviving royal house in Europe has served its purpose and is now being dismantled and destroyed. Could be. Just a little theory I wanted to share with you, as this does seem to happen on century-long cycles. Speaking of foreign foreign events, I want to show you this video. Clip number five. This is uh, Pierre Polivier. Pol- Poliv. This is, this is a guy named Pierre. He's running to unseat Justin Trudeau in Canada and is the, the conservative antithesis to Trudeau. He gave this speech where he makes some pretty incredible claims against Justin Trudeau and his government with some documents that the government of Trudeau had been trying to hide for years. Let's go to clip number five. We've just received these documents that Trudeau has been covering up for years. Documents related to a massive security breach at the Trudeau government's most sensitive laboratory, where the most dangerous viruses and pathogens are studied and handled. We have learned that the Trudeau government's head of pathogens was collaborating with members of Beijing's People's Liberation Army who are responsible for bioweapons and bioterrorism. We know now that uh, a People's Liberation Army official was able to gain personal access, walk in the door, look at computers, and have access to all of our most important virological secrets. Let me, if you think any of this is hyperbole, read the report yourself. Of course, it's not hyperbole. If anything, he's underselling it. And of course, the mainstream media and the liberal government are responding in exactly the way that you would expect, not actually dismantling or or confronting or dispelling the claims, but instead calling you crazy for noticing them, calling you a conspiracy theorist for caring about them and calling Pierre Polevier. I needed I I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Pierre P. Is that what we should call him? Polevier, Polevier, like polar bear. All right. Pierre Polar Bear. Uh is apparently a, a conspiracy theorist who is, quote, weaponizing national security. That's the claim Trudeau made uh, from this article from uh, CBC, the, by the way, government broadcaster of Canada. Uh, Polar Bear claims Trudeau is covering up labses at high security lab. PM accuses rival of spewing conspiracies. OK, you mean conspiracy theories? No, what he's describing is a conspiracy. It's conspiring the Canadian government with the Chinese government to sell out their national security or as he puts it weaponizing he's weaponizing national security so if you point out something 
that is destroying your national security, I guess that means you're weaponizing it. Canada, wake up, please. Austin is poised to meet the challenges of tomorrow and become an even greater city with a confidence rooted deep in the heart of Texas. Once upon a time, there was a magical town deep in the heart of Texas. It was home to musicians, artists, filmmakers, and visionaries. I come on public access and hang out. I'm on 24 hours a day, they say. <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty close. Unfortunately, Austin, Texas, as we knew it, is gone. It is now Machete Town, USA. The Austin Police Association president says a teenager was randomly and violently attacked by a, quote, machete-wielding maniac. You know, as I was running, uh, he chased me down like his life depended on, you know, ending mine. It's a larger problem. There's a, just a, a kind of a atmosphere of lawlessness in this city. So at this point now, APD needs to do their job. The city of Austin needs to address that we have a growing homeless problem that is an aggressive homeless problem, you know, and it is constantly getting worse. It was just another evening for Joshua Walker as he walked his dog in East Riverside, but things took a turn for the worse after he passed a homeless camp. He says four attackers with two weapons, a knife and a machete approached him. Last thing I remember, really, was uh, getting pricked, pricked in my back. It just felt like just a little prick here, but then I got hit in my head. Something really bad happened right here. I knew it right away. Austin's police union is crediting an APD officer with saving a life after a security guard was attacked with a machete at a downtown Austin hotel. The guard actually stopped Bergen from stealing something off a table. Soon after, Bergen returned with the machete, slinging it at the security guard, slicing his arm about two-thirds of the way through. Tonight, Austin police are searching for a man armed with a machete and other weapons. They say he is robbing people and hurting his victims. Multiple homes and neighbors hit by robberies all along West Runberg Lane and linked to one suspect, according to Austin police. In the heart of Machete Town, 6th Street, the musicians have been replaced by machete-wielding homeless lunatics thanks to the grifting of the city council, a council that continues to pretend that the old Austin exists to keep the outside money in Californians flowing in. Recently, shooting down the latest attempt to have its coffers audited in an effort to apparently cover up the revelations of at least a decade of corruption. The police force has been decimated, and the ones that remain work long hours and face jail time if they don't tow Soros D.A. Garza's Marxist line. At night, 6th Street is transformed from a homeless toilet into a shooting gallery where tourists are murdered as they are still being drawn to the city with the promise of what it once was. The moment DeAndre White learned his fate, he will spend the next 30 years in prison for a shooting that lasted a few seconds. But for Julia Cantor, the mother of Doug Cantor, who died in the 2021 mass shooting on 6th Street, her life was forever altered much earlier. The damage one evil person did with no regard for life took from all of us a beautiful, pure soul. Cantor had just graduated and went to Austin with his childhood friends to celebrate. Among the charges 23-year-old Taylor Marie Cartwright is facing, 
aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. KXAN's Brittany Glass spoke with the tourist she's accused of choking until he almost passed out. A caller stated on the north side of Lady Bird Lake, 20 feet in the water, he thinks he found a dead body. According to the police, they arrived to the scene to find a person dead in the lake along Cesar Chavez between South 1st Street and Congress, bringing fear to the group of friends and those that frequent the trail. We're all from Utah. We're here on for work, so there's like no reason he should be missing at all. Even worse, the council continues continues to sell the illusion that Machete Town is a safe environment for thousands upon thousands of visiting filmmakers, tech gurus, and musicians from all over the world, ignoring in true left-wing fashion the very real danger lurking in the shadows. It may be too late to give this advice, but in the words of Gibby Haynes of the Butthole Surfers, don't move here. John Bound reporting for InfoWars. Gives common sense machete control. I think that's the solution. Infowars.com. Share that video, folks. Be right back. Taking a international view once again of what the hell's going on around here. Let's talk about what's going on in Israel. They're calling it the Flower Massacre. Of course, CNN calls it a chaotic incident. But most massacres are chaotic incidents, I would imagine. We don't need to go over the whole history of what's been going on in Gaza for the last five months. As you know, basically all of the people in Gaza have fled to the southernmost part of that country, an area called Rafah, which Israel is now bombing and on the cusp of invading. Seems like they're getting a little bit desperate, as this story from the Palestinian uh, PalestineChronicle.com Relays Israel army, Israeli army in Gaza in a state of shock, according to Yedioth Aronoth. The Israeli army is experiencing a shock in the wake of nearly 150 days of conflict and suffers from severe manpower issue. The Israeli newspaper Yedioth Aronoth reported on Friday. Following 147 days of combat, the army is experiencing intensifying personnel shortages, the newspaper reported, highlighting how the Israeli army is calling for another 7,500 officer and non-commissioned officer positions, while the Treasury is currently only approving 2,500. Approximately 582 soldiers have fallen in battle, and several more are physically and psychologically wounded, to the extent they're unable to return to their roles, the report added, noting that a significant number of commanders who led their troops as expected also fell in battles, necessitating training for their replacements. So it, uh, well, it is going well for anybody in this conflagration least of all the Israeli army who somehow while being incapable of taking over Gaza in an effective or or reasonable way are now turning their sights on Lebanon and Hezbollah so this is uh, suicidal for them except that you know at a certain point if they get themselves in enough trouble America has to come in and save them. So it seems like Israel is is doing everything it can to provoke Hezbollah, who has enough munitions to literally level all of Tel Aviv. I mean, they're and so funny people. So I, I laid out that that timeline in the first segment, the tweet that I did where I was like, Israel's going to invade Lebanon. Hezbollah is going to respond very powerfully. Israel is going to be in a lot of trouble. So America is going to have to get involved. Once America gets involved, Iran is likely to get involved. 
and that's how the the World War Three level situation emerges in in um, Israel. Now that was the only really part of speculation I put in there, even though it's not really that much speculation. This is the announced and and acknowledged publicly plan of of Israel. They say they're going to go into Lebanon. America says if Hezbollah gets involved, we'll get involved. So like these are the dominoes that are set up. I'm just suggesting they might start falling soon. But that's the only really part of speculation. Other than that, I just talk about what's going on in Ukraine with Russia on the offensive now with NATO seemingly doing everything it can to provoke Russia by saying they're going to send soldiers, by sending long range missiles, by doing all sorts of things that are again leading us towards another flashpoint of World War Three. And then I talk about the leftist militias here in America and all these. So none of this is speculation except for the speculation as to what will happen in the future should the inevitable things happen. And then I get responses on Twitter that are like, you guys need to stop dropping acid and coming up with, you know, dystopian fever dreams. It's just like, okay, look, if I'm listing world events and you think it sounds like an acid trip fever dream, of dystopian proportion, you should probably be paying more attention. Really nothing in that was speculation. Nothing in that was a fever dream. I'm just, I'm just listing what's happening around the world. And to you, it sounds like a dystopian fever dream. Hey, maybe we're in a dystopian fever dream. Maybe the aspect of this that sounds to you like an acid trip is because our leaders are insane and doing things that make no sense without being on hardcore drugs so that's on you to figure this out not on me to not talk about it which is very interesting very revealing these things then other people going um hezbollah isn't is going to get wiped out by israel it's like really because that's not what everyone in the know says and again this is what we've tried to point out since the beginning of this conflict is that the real enemy of israel that they're really concerned about is not hamas it's hezbollah they are massively armed they have incredible weapons they are allied with Syria and Iran. They've already proven themselves on the battlefields of Syria by destroying ISIS to a large degree. I mean, this is the major threat to Israel that you can notice if you are looking for it. If you aren't looking for it, they don't really mention Hezbollah all that much. Sort of as a sideshow, they sort of say, oh, yeah, and if Hezbollah gets involved, we'll get involved. But they don't, you know, they don't want to pro uh, project to their enemies and portray to everybody in the world we're terrified of this eventuality but they are and you can see that if you read through the lines so all that to say is it might give some context context as to why the israelis seem to be taking such des desperate measures in gaza as we'll get into in just a second but the other thing that you always hear when you talk about the just mind-blowingly horrible things that israel does just i mean it really is beyond description and it sort of makes the nazis pale in comparison and that's one thing i, I want to talk about here i don't know if we need like a a scoreboard or something but there was a image macro people put out i don't want to call it a meme because it wasn't exactly funny but it was basically divided the number of children killed uh, by the days that have taken place and it had you know hitler and, and killing the six million jews it was like you killed like 120 uh, children a day. Benjamin Netanyahu over the last five months has killed 170 children a day. So if you're talking about proportionality, are the Israelis worse than the Nazis? At least in that regard, I think they might be. But also in the 
the glee they seem to take from the horrible things that they do. And again, we'll get into this. We'll show you. We'll show you the glee. We'll show you the videos that the IDF themselves put out that show them massacring starving people who they pretended to give bread to before killing them. I'm not just making all this up. They're gleeful about it, and it's horrifying. And so when you bring that up, you know, a lot of what you get, really the only response that can theoretically make sense is they go, oh, so you're just believing Hamas's numbers? It's like you're sitting there watching a video where it's just like body parts littered across the ground. It's just like dead children massacred, just the most horrible thing you've ever seen. And they're like, oh, so you believe Hamas? It's like, I believe my eyes. I believe the things I'm seeing taking place on an everyday basis for five months. It makes no sense. We've talked about it before. It's this it's this putting off onto your enemies whatever claims that people are making. So if you say, hey, you know, America really did provoke Russia. We entered Ukraine and we're like using them as a proxy and helping them to separate themselves from Russia, even when the populace itself didn't want to do it. And they go, oh, so you just believe everything Putin says? It's just like, no, I'm, I'm looking at the things that have happened in the world. Putin is telling the truth about those things. So we happen to align in this case. It's not because Putin said it. You can watch the election be stolen right in front of you. And they go, oh, so you just believe everything Trump says about the election? No, I saw it, and Trump's telling the truth about it. And when you see massacre after massacre after massacre take place against women and children in Gaza, I'm not believing Hamas, especially in the sense that nobody is contesting these numbers. Nobody is saying actually only 5,000 people have died. Everybody recognizes from the Red Cross to Israel themselves to Hamas and the, and the Palestinian Authority to American military. As this headline relates, more than 25,000 women and children killed in Gaza, according to the U.S. Defense Secretary. So I, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin seems to believe this. So I think it's, it's probably a pretty good, reasonable thing. If anything, he's probably undercounting it. And I think 25,000 women and children is uh, the lowest level I would, I would put on this. Now, the flower massacre. What people are calling the flower massacre. Stories at InfoWars. Israel opens fire on crowd of 1,000 Gazans waiting for food, killing over 100. CNN calls the massacre a chaotic incident. Mainstream media and the Israeli military were lambasted online Thursday after Israeli Defense Force soldiers shot into a huge crowd of Palestinians and CNN downplayed the massacre as a, quote, chaotic incident. The current toll being reported by the press is 104 deaths and 760 injuries. The numbers came from the Palestinian Ministry of Health in Gaza and have yet to be verified. However, an Israeli official did confirm to CNN that IDF troops fired live rounds on people surrounding an aid truck, claiming, quote, the crowd approached the forces in a manner that posed a threat to the troops who responded to the threat with live fire. So let's explain exactly what that means. Okay. The people of Gaza are literally dying of starvation. Multiple children have been reported as having starved to death in Gaza as a result of the deliberate policy of starvation carried out in Gaza by the IDF, who have denied them fuel, food, and water since the start of this excursion that they've taken. So you have a starving population of refugees, 
you go into you drive a truck in there with a big sign that says free bread. The people in their desperation run to try to get the food to save their lives. And you say, I feel threatened. And you, you shoot them and you kill the people who are running, starving and desperate for food. You say they were running at us and you kill them. This is called in um, military terms, a trap. That's a trap. So they set a trap. People ran to get the food they needed to survive, and you shot them. Now, here what we're seeing is the drone footage captured by the IDF, who for some reason had a surveillance drone in position to capture this. Some shocking things about this. First of all, the sheer number, and let's leave this full screen. People need to be able to see this. The sheer number of people, the mass of humanity we're dealing with, this is way more than 1,000 people. And it goes on and on. And you think like, oh, my God, look at all these people. It's like, an, it's like an ant colony. It's like a swarming of people running to these food trucks to get sustenance. And then it like pans over and you realize you're only looking at a third of the people, half the people, a quarter of the people. And by the way, the people surrounded, all of these dark spots are the places where bombs have previously landed. And it's just, I mean, the mass of humanity that we're seeing here. Imagine every one of these little dots on the screen that you're seeing is a, is a starving person. Every single one of these is a human being. Imagine being one of them. Imagine being one of these people desperate for food, running to a food truck and being shot by the people supposedly delivering you aid. Did I tell you how evil these people are yet? Have I explained to you why I'm sort of no holds barred on this whole situation? It's not a, well, you know, they did kill a couple hundred people in Israel five months ago. No, it doesn't matter. This is sickening. What Israel is doing to Gaza is a sickening thing and should make anybody with any human empathy at all uh, feel sick, feel sick to this. But, of course, as they as they did with the hospital bombing that they carried out early on in this conflict, another ridiculous claim that they made where they're just saturation bombing the entire area. They hit a hospital and then they go, no, actually, that was them. Actually, that was they bombed themselves in that case. All the other bombs, that was us. But that one that hit the hospital that everybody's mad about. That's not us. And if you say it's us, you're an anti-Semite, and that's a blood libel. It's like, okay, stop. Stop it. Just stop. We get it. We know what's happening. We understand what's going on. Your lies only make the whole thing more ridiculous. It puts a layer of absurd callousness on top of the brutal massacres you're carrying out. So don't do that anymore. Stop lying. Stop it. You killed these people. You bragged about it. You filmed it with the drone. You published the video yourselves. That video is from the IDF with the drone they had pre-stationed to capture the massacre, and then they published it on purpose. And people are like, why would they You know, why would they do that? It's like they're telling on them. No, they're bragging. They're happy about this. They're celebrating this. There's telegram channels where people are rejoicing over this, right, from at I really hate you on Twitter. One of several Israeli telegram channels dedicated to rejoicing over Palestinian death Quote, first footage of the what they're calling, we call the flower massacre. They're calling the blessed massacre. You can see clearly they're fighting for their lives for survival. Cannibalism is on the way. We must starve them until the long-awaited cannibalism. Okay, so lots of likes, lots of laughing faces. It's very funny to starve people until they're so desperate they want to eat their own children. That's our greatest ally, Israel. Now, again, it's bizarre because as this InfoWars article reports – An Israeli official did confirm to CNN that IDF troops fired live rounds on people surrounding an aid truck. Okay, so that's not up for debate. They did it on purpose. Okay, they bragged about it. They filmed it. 
they released the videos themselves, the one we just saw with the overhead view to see it all. Uh, Sarah at uh, S-A-H-O-U-R-A-X-O on Twitter says Israeli gunned down hundreds of Palestinians waiting for food in Gaza, starving civilians. It's called genocide, not a chaotic incident. Now, here's another thing about this. When the Nazis were having trouble taking Russia, were bogged down in Stalingrad. Uh, Russia also was having trouble doing things like feeding its own citizens. And for a time, Hermann Goering suggested that the Nazis send food trucks into Russia and then kill the people when they come out to try to get the food. That tactic was, while considered by the Nazis, deemed a little too, a little too beyond the pale. The Nazis were like, all right, we're bad, but like that's really – like we're not going to do that. That's crazy. That's – we're not going to do that. Israelis don't quite have the, the – same hesitation. They just went ahead and did it. So, yes, the Nazis did consider doing something like this, but it was beyond the pale for them. It's too far for the Nazis to go. Again, Israel, not so much. So Israel sent in the food. Israel sent in soldiers. Israel fired on the starving people that Israel starved, that Israel blockaded and prevented from getting aid. And then they, they killed them. That's called a, that's called a trap. That's a trap they carried out. Now, we can see the videos of the actual shooting here, clip number 15. Uh, you know, again, this was, in, this was posted, this video was posted in response to uh, another Israeli account saying, you know, actually it was a stampede. It was those crazy Gazans just stampeding each other. And then the person posts this video going, uh, no, it, you shot them. It's on video. Stop lying. Here's the video. <laughs> It's the, it's the tracer rounds from the stampede. It's the crackling gunfire of uh, chaos in a stampede that took place. Now, they sent in food to starving people and then shot the people running to get the food, okay? And it goes on and on. So we can pull that down, but the video's uh, longer than that. But they are, they are desperately trying to come up with some other thing that maybe could tell us because, I mean, they know, their people know, everybody knows they did it on purpose, they're happy about it, they celebrate it. But for the rest of the world, they, it doesn't look – it frankly doesn't look good. When you're doing things that made the uh, Nazis balk at the, the sheer hatred and, and viciousness and callousness and, and deception that it would take place, when you're doing things worse than the Nazis ever did, you want to come up with a reason why it's actually not your fault and the hospital bombed itself actually. So they're doing kind of the same thing here. Uh, clip number 16, UK Sky News, it tries to find another reason. These are the other reasons that Israel said that the massacre they carried out happened. Let's see if there's any legitimacy to these claims, shall we? Let's watch clip 16. There's three different explanations we're hearing from the IDF so far. Initially, it was that there was a stampede that caused loads of people to die. Then there was a suggestion that a truck had actually driven by a civilian driver, had mown down a load of the Palestinians. Then there was a suggestion that actually that this was potentially Hamas stealing the aid. Yeah, maybe it was Hamas. Maybe it was a stampede. Uh, maybe it was a recurrence of the Black Plague. Maybe it was a meteorite. Or maybe you already said you shot them. You already said you shot them. By the way, 104 is the official number. I've seen numbers up to 150. Uh, that's killed 700 plus uh, wounded in this event. So not everybody who was shot died. 700 of them survived this brutal and horrific massacre. Okay, let's just. 
What, the Palestinians? Oh, yeah. Oh, you're just saying that. Okay, you're not live. All right. Yeah, Palestinian, but, you know, obviously the 700 people who were shot, they'll probably recover in uh, Palestine's uh, state-of-the-art hospitals, though though one and a half that remain, I think. I mean, it doesn't have medicine or food or water or fuel or electricity, but I'm sure they'll be fine. Almost worse. I don't know. Almost worse. Well, probably a lot of the 700 that were shot are going to die from their wounds. It's just not going to be an instant death. It'll be a slow, as agonizing, uh, gangrenous death, so... Maybe the the martyrs that died quickly actually ended up uh, best. So there you go. Again, Jake Shields points out this is a real news headline. Thousands of hungry Palestinians were waiting for food when the IDF opened fire, killing over 100 of them. And the headline says hungry Palestinians looking for food made Israel Israeli soldiers feel unsafe, says the army. Yeah, 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 yeah. And again, uh, it's just stupid for them to try to come up with other things that this could be when they already have headlines like this. The 146th, the day of the war, soldiers fired at a crowd in Gaza that attacked aid food trucks, reports of dozens of dead. Uh, this from Haaretz, and it's quoting, um, it's the Israeli military, quoting the Israeli army. They already admitted it. So stop, stop trying to come up with other things this is. But I guarantee you, six months from now, if you bring up the flower massacre, people are going to say, uh, you mean when the Palestinians trampled each other and Hamas opened fire? Like these lies have a way of sticking. They have a way of uh, being repeated over and over until people actually think they're true. They're not, though. They're just lies. Uh, Christ Gnosis, Christ underscore Gnosis on Twitter says they have no shame this morning. And this is from the IDF official Twitter account. X account. This morning, humanitarian aid trucks entered northern Gaza, sent by Israel, I remind you. Residents surrounded the trucks and looted the supplies being delivered. As a result of the pushing, trampling, and being run over by the trucks, dozens of Gazans were killed and injured. It was probably the the trampling, maybe the trucks. I mean, sure, we did start shooting a lot of them, but we think it was probably the trampling or the trucks that did it. Thanks, IDF. Greatest allies. Our greatest allies. What would we do without you? Again, I, I just am horrified and shocked at every new news story from the Israeli war. But this one might be the worst that we've seen. Al Jazeera, the flower massacre, how Gaza food killings unfolded and how Israel's story changed. At least, okay, they have a number of 112 Palestinians have been killed and more than 750 wounded after Israeli troops opened fire on hundreds waiting for food in the southwest city of Gaza. Uh, Gaza, uh, Gaza City. The incident unfolded about, uh, what is that, uh, 4.30 local time on Thursday when people congregated uh, on the street in Gaza where aid trucks carrying flour were believed to be on the way. The convoy of aid trucks passed through the checkpoint heading north as people started gathering in large groups. According to Israeli military, a convoy of 31 trucks entered Gaza, but nearly uh, 20 entered the north on Monday and Tuesday as people gathered in large groups waiting for much-needed aid. They were shot at by all kinds of military equipment. uh, Al Jazeera's Hani Mahmoud reported from Rafa, according to a report by the Associated Press, people pulled boxes of flour and canned goods off the truck. After the first round of shooting stopped, People return to the trucks only for soldiers to open fire once again. Okay. All right. So that's the story. Brutal, horrific massacre, genocide. We're seeing it play out in real time. If only somebody could do something to stop it. If only there was some massive superpower that could step in and prevent the horrible Holocaust we're seeing. If only there was some country that wasn't controlled like a puppet by Israel. Could be us. 
Uh, we're going to move on from Israel here in just a second, but there's just a few more things I'd like to I'd like to cover in regards to our greatest ally. We're going to be joined in the third hour by John Ward, great uh, YouTuber, content creator. I'm very excited to talk to him about a, a number of uh, different topics, including a new series he's coming out with called The Mono Myth. That is, is one of the most mind-blowing series of videos I've, I've ever seen. And I'm very excited to talk to him about that. We're going to continue to talk about AI and uh, legal immigration and all sorts of other fun things to get into. But uh, you know me. Can't resist talking about the massive genocide taking place that we're doing on purpose uh, by supporting them and vetoing any ability of places like the UN to... Uh, tamp down on the horrible massacres. So let's talk about some other you know, side effect things here from Gentile News Network at Gentile News Net on Twitter. Post this Politico headline. Congressional staff tried to protect Gazan churches by sending locations to Israel. The Israeli military received and confirmed the coordinates of the church in covenant in, covenant in Gaza, both of which aid groups say were later struck by rockets and snipers. Wow. Whoops. Whoopsies. I think that might be giving the bad people the benefit of the doubt a little bit too much. A little bit too much. They're like, if you're going to be slaughtering everyone in Gaza, here are the churches. You'll probably be wanting to avoid those. And Israel's like, oh, yeah, right. Definitely. Oh, we'll definitely take uh, account of this. Fire the rockets. Fire the Send the snipers out. Kill the nuns. Yeah, it, uh, it didn't help. It didn't help. So, you know, sort of sort of blows apart a couple different uh, talking points when it comes to Israel and Palestine. A lot of people don't realize that the churches um, that Palestine actually had uh, a Christian population with churches and convents. Uh, they, they think that Palestinians I've heard so many times, if you go to Palestine, they'd kill you because you're a Christian. It's weird they didn't kill the Christians living amongst them for thousands of years. Never got around to that, did they? No, instead it was Israel. It was Israel that bombed the churches and uh, shot the nuns. So our greatest ally, folks, our greatest ally. Amazing. Dr. Eli David, one of the most repulsive people ever, just ever. In fact, I didn't pull it up, but I think it was Jake Shields posted up. Image of the before and after of Gaza. And before it looks like a vibrant city with roads and buildings and people, the thing you would expect a city to have and then the after image is literally dirt there's not even a remnant of road remaining and in response to this huh, dr eli david is like well maybe they shouldn't have celebrated october 7th it's just like can you imagine can you imagine the 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 blackness of the heart that's required to be like well the people that lived in an open-air prison and have been oppressed and routinely terrorized for the last 50 years celebrated a, a military – a successful military action on their behalf against their oppressors, and so they therefore deserve to be ground into dirt. It's just like, my god. Honestly, it just – it is sickening. It is truly sickening when these people get uh, get comfortable saying this sort of stuff. It's It's really horrifying. So – he says, claim Israel wouldn't exist without U.S. aid. Absolutely true. 
Oh, it's absolutely true. And tell you what, and he says, fact, U.S. aid is 0.9% of Israel's GDP. Now, before we even get into the stats about the money, maybe we could try this out. I mean, they seem really like insulted with the idea that it's America support, American support that allows Israel to exist. They think that's not true. They're constantly saying, you know, that's stupid. There's no way that's true. We can defend ourselves. Let's give it a try. Let's give it a try. Let's have America not veto any ceasefire resolutions by the U.N. Let's withdraw all of the aircraft carriers from the area. Let's get all of the American troops just out of the Middle East completely. If they're so insulted at the concept that America is the reason Israel can exist, let's give it a try. Let's have them go it on their own. We'll see how long that lasts, okay? It's just, you know, the the ingratitude, right? America, billions of dollars, tens of hundreds of billions of dollars and destroying our reputation worldwide with our uh, just sycophantic, just mind-blowing, like a inconceivable, inexplicable servitude to Israel. And then they're just like, you know, when people are like, hey, you know, we do a lot for you. They're just like, no, you don't. We don't need you. It's just like, oh, okay, maybe we can with maybe no more money, no more military support, no more international diplomatic support. How long do you think that would last? How long do you think that would last? Of course, it's America. Of course, America is the only reason Israel exists. These freaking liars. All right. So noble underscore X underscore X underscore X is the account that posts this fun fact. When you don't manipulate the stats. The amount of aid the U.S. gives to Israel is staggering. Israel receives the equivalent of about $500 or $789 in 2004 money of aid per person per year. So just remember that. If you're struggling to make ends meet, $500 has been taken from you in the form of tax and given to uh, the first world free health care state of Israel. Egypt is the next closest and receives about $20 per person per year. So – Israel gets 500. The next highest is Egypt with 20. Israel receives one-sixth of U.S.'s total foreign aid sent, and unlikely, and unlike most other recipients, they're a wealthy first-world country. Israel's the only country that doesn't have to spend their aid within the U.S. Israel gets $3 billion of aid officially per year, although one congressman estimated it's closer to $4.3 billion, with unofficial payments included. Israel's the only country that doesn't have to disclose what they spend their aid on. They can buy whatever they want, even if it's against U.S. interest, as it often is, I should add. Israel has a special deal where their aid is technically lent as interest-free loan. They're the only country without arrangement. There's many more, but those are just some of the major ones. Israel's only country that receives their aid all at once at the beginning of the year rather than spread out through the year, this info is from Chapter 2 of the Israeli Lobby by John Mearsheimer. That's yeah, all very interesting. It's all very fascinating to me. I believe there's one more. Oh, this is the video. Yeah, let's go to this video quickly. Uh, clip number 24. Let's watch. Hi, uh, my name is Rich Siegel. Um, I'm a 25-year homeowner here in Teaneck. I'm Jewish. The reason that I'm telling you that I'm Jewish is because I have a concern about something that's going on in the Jewish community. On March 10th, there is scheduled to be an Israeli real estate sales event at the Keter Torah Synagogue. That event <laughs> violates both domestic law and international law. 
violates domestic law because we had a Civil Rights Act in 1965 and a Fair Housing Act in 1968. We don't allow real estate events to be for whites only, for Jews only, for anybody only. Now, as Jews, we don't get to fly under the radar and break the law and hide it in the synagogue. It violates international law because uh, West Bank settlement homes are going to be available for sale at this real estate event. On the website, it lists three different West Bank settlements. Those settlements are in and of themselves illegal by international law. If we allow this sale to go through, we are enabling a local synagogue to violate both domestic anti-discrimination laws and international law. Now, there's other reasons we shouldn't allow it, okay? There's a genocide going on right now. I don't care who that offends. More than 35,000 people have been killed. More than 13,000 children have been killed. People in this community are in deep mourning. People in this community are angry. I'm angry. What this real estate event is going to do is it's going to fan the flames. If it goes forward, there will be a demonstration. I know there's going to be a demonstration because I'm going to organize it. So bravo, that guy standing up against those illegal settlements in the West Bank being sold at auction in America, but only for Jews. That seems kind of unfair, doesn't it? We're joined in the next hour by John Ward. Still a lot of stories to get to here in this uh, final segment. My Lord. I mean, we're okay. All right. We're going to get to as much as possible. It seems at this point like. Like everything's just happening so fast in so many different directions. And uh, it used to be used to be kind of easier for InfoWars because while we cover a, a wide swath of topics, there's only a few stories in each one of those topics. We could get to to all of them because we don't hyper-focus on, on one thing or another. There are other outlets that do that, and we depend on them for the information. This is a human intelligence network that we're at the center of. But it's like almost too much. I mean, the, the threats against the First Amendment, videos of, of, that we have of people saying, people in the media or people in, the, in politics going on, places like CNN, and saying like, you know, the First Amendment really makes it inconvenient because we can be accused of censorship when we try to limit people's speech. It's like, yeah, 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 dummy, obviously. So like the threats against the First Amendment where you've got journalists being thrown in jail for documenting the protest on January 6th, four years after, after the event took place, three years, whatever. You've got judge holds veteran journalist Catherine Harridge in contempt for refusing, uh, for refusing to reveal her sources, finding her $800 a day for refusing to divulge her sources in a series of stories, stories published in 2017 when she was a correspondent at Fox News. And these stories, of course, had to do with Hunter Biden, the FBI, all sorts of other you know, government corruption. So the government is now 
attempting to find out who tattled on them. Is charging a journalist eight hundred dollars a day for not refusing, not revealing her sources. Uh, that's what we call a complete and total violation of the First Amendment, the death of free speech, a free press, and democracy itself. It's not voting for Trump. That's the death of democracy. It's the criminalization of free speech. That's the threat of uh, threat against democracy. I'll have you know. But we've also got the the P Diddy allegations, which is not a it's not a small thing. It's actually just the musical industry version of the Epstein setup. And just like we we told you, I mean, you know, it's been our position since before most people even knew who Jeffrey Epstein was. That Epstein was not the kingpin in all of this. He was serving a master. He was serving an intelligence agency, Mossad. And he had people pulling his strings, like the mega group under you know, Israeli dual citizen uh, corporate masters here in America. And the same thing with P. Diddy. He's not the end of the chain of command either, but very similar things with sex with underage people, cameras in every room, a lot of accusations up to and including murder. And it was one of the things that I didn't really touch on when I was talking about this like a week ago before these allegations even came out. I was talking about P. Diddy himself explicitly talking about the so-called flavor camp that he ran in the 90s where Usher as a 13 or 14 year old kid was sent to live with P. Diddy. And basically it was just continuous orgies in every part of the house and and just total corruption and talking about the way that A-list celebrities are, are manufactured and they're sort of put through a gauntlet of abuse to prove that they're malleable and manipulatable and compliant to the demands of the people above them, making sure, guaranteeing that in music and movies and every other possible way, the idols that we looked up to as children were spineless moral blanks that had one shared characteristic, and that was their willingness to debase themselves and degrade themselves for fame. This is a longstanding process. Of course, Harvey Weinstein was a kingpin of this in Hollywood, guaranteeing that anybody who won an Oscar first had to prostrate themselves in front of the Goblin King. It's just all this is all just going on, just happening. And of course, they launched the Me Too movement, criticizing you, which is just the most absurd. The fact that they pull this off, it's such an indictment on the American people. It's such a embarrassing thing for the american people to fall for the me too movement saying all men in all positions of power are abusive it's like it's like harvey weinstein gets caught with his hand in the cookie jar stealing cookies instead of being like ah gee i got caught sorry nobody around going that guy's stealing cookies instead it's like yeah, this is a lesson we should all learn we should all we all men in america have to learn to stop stealing from the cookie jar no this was you you disgusting scumbag. But they somehow turned it from look at this systematic exploitation of our stars. And it's like a filter that our stars have to pass through a filter that stops virtue. <laughs> right. If you have virtue, if you have if you'll stand up against somebody trying to abuse you, you don't make it in Hollywood. That's the filter. It's Harvey Weinstein. 
They take the revelation of this and they turn it into the hashtag Me Too movement, which destroys like hundreds of people's lives on false allegations and has these extremist leftist women convinced that, you know, their co-worker is Harvey Weinstein himself when it all just came out of Harvey Weinstein. It all just came out of the abusive system in Hollywood, exclusively in Hollywood, and yet Hollywood gets up and then lectures all of us about how we need to stop being so abusive. It's the fact that we fall for this, the fact that the American people allowed this to happen. Really, it's an indictment. It's an indictment on us and our system and the control that they have. Really incredible. So the Diddy allegations are uh, very similar to this. Uh, Diddy allegations aren't entertainment. They're disturbing, according to Rolling Stone. The right response to the mounting accusations against the bad boy founder should be empathy for the victims, not mockery. Well, uh, nobody's mocking it, but also empathy for the victims only goes so far. It should be – I mean, it just literally sounds like they're setting up another Me Too thing where the the controllers of hip-hop for the past 30-plus years are busted running exploitation schemes. And, and because, again, once you make these people idols, once you make them A-list stars, then celebrities want to meet them. Then politicians can get a bump, big bump in the polls by – associating with them so you you have a it's a whole of society sort of operation where the music industry the film industry the political industry under jeffrey epstein are all running these same sort of operations where they're running it it's a, it's a blackmail exploit ex, uh, extortion ring controlling every aspect of the media and politics in this country and it's run on the ground by people like P. Diddy, apparently, uh, allegedly, I'll add, or Jeffrey Epstein, confirmedly, <laughs> I'll concede. But in reality, it's being run by intelligence agencies, including the CIA and the FBI, who, of course, have since J. Edgar Hoover had a very long history of both cooperating with the mafia and the mob and running black rail, uh, blackmail and extortion rings themselves. It's sort of the point of their existence, actually. So we'll have to get into this. I guess we'll get into it uh, next week. I'll put together some stuff uh, over the weekend. Again, you know, shout out to uh, at what is it? Can't cancel this clothing, Ian. Ian, whatever. Shoot, <laughs> I just had him pulled up. But uh, the TikTok guy that we played a few days ago has broken this down in a series of videos. I could just play them, but we'll. we'll do our own research and and even expand the view out from uh, what he talks about. Ian Carroll, I think his name's Ian Carroll, uh, and he's on on X and and TikTok and has done some pretty good breakdowns of this. If you want the story before next week, where we'll break it down and tie it in to a lot of other blackmail rings that we see across the world, but all of these things happening all at once, all at the same time, and it seems like it's like the coming out party of the new world order where before they had to conceal their activities. They have now determined that the American people are too stupid, confused, browbeaten, misaligned to actually do anything about the criminal activities. And so they're just doing it openly at this point. And that's a, that's a troubling place to be in. And it makes it hard for me to cover all the things that are happening when they're happening so rapidly and at such scale, but we will continue to try to untangle the web that, it's trapping us in a technocratic control grid. I hope you can support us in this mission. You're not going to find anyone on TV or radio covering this stuff, this stuff to this depth. Infowarsstore.com is the only way 
that we get funding. It's the only way to support us, InfoWarsStore.com. You can donate there, and we absolutely appreciate that. But get yourself a product. It'll improve your own life. It'll improve your own health because we're all about confronting these issues at two levels. The political level where we encourage activism and getting out and spreading the word and trying to change things systematically. And also the personal level where you as an individual have to protect yourself against the poisons, spiritual, mental, psychological that are uh, affronting you. Putin has made it clear in several interviews that he is well aware of how U.S. presidents come and go and U.S. policy never changes. Putin is well aware that it is the CIA who directs U.S. policy. And it is the intelligence agencies of NATO countries who have been covertly instigating war with Russia for decades. In the Tucker Carlson interview at the Kremlin, President Putin seemed to be speaking directly to the CIA, twice playfully hinting that Tucker is a representative of the intelligence organization. With the backing of whom? With the backing of CIA, of course. The organization you wanted to join back in the day, as I understand. We should thank God they didn't let you in. Although, it is a serious organization. I understand. Who blew up Nord Stream? <laughs> you for sure. I was busy that day. <laughs> Nate, it, do you have... Do you have <laughs> uh, I did not blow up Nord Stream. Uh, <laughs> you personally may have an alibi, but the CIA has no such alibi. And the CIA responded to Putin via their New York Times media outlet in the recent article, The Spy War, How the CIA Secretly Helps Ukraine Fight Putin. The article admits that the CIA, operating through three different presidential administrations, has transformed the Ukraine into Washington's most important intelligence partners against the Kremlin. They have secretly trained and equipped Ukrainian intelligence officers over the past decade and constructed a network of 12 secret bases along the Russian border used to launch cross-border attacks on Russian territory. This means the CIA is responsible for the attacks on oil refineries and energy infrastructure. The article describes secret underground command centers established near the Russian border, financed and equipped by the CIA. A CIA program called Operation Goldfish enabled Ukrainians to hack into Russian military networks, break into satellites, and decode secret conversations. Two years after the 2014 Western-backed coup in Ukraine, the CIA set up training programs for an elite Ukrainian commando force known as Unit 2245. The CIA trained Ukrainian spies who operate inside of Russia, across Europe, and in other places where Russia operates. The article points out that this operation may have been hidden from Trump. While Trump's rhetoric was friendly to Russia, his administration of anti-Russia war hawks, such as Mike Pompeo and John Bolton, kept Western aggression moving forward, which is what Putin has been pointing out for years. 
Presidents come and go, and the policy never changes. The article says nothing about the several bioweapons labs that the U.S. admitted to having along Russia's border. Some of these labs were seized by the Russian Federation, who say they are preparing to release a report on them, but have so far remained silent. Putin has made it clear that Russia's actions in Ukraine was in response to decades of hostile U.S.-NATO military expansion on Russian borders, and the CIA is now admitting this to be true. Reporting for InfoWars, this is Greg Reese. That is latest from Greg Reese. CIA admits to instigating war with Russia. Find it on InfoWars.com and Band.video. I'll be back on the other side with my guest, John Ward at John Ward Cinematics on YouTube. Somebody we had on the show years ago, we're going to ask him what he's been up to, and we're going to show you some of what he's been up to, because you you should probably be watching it. It's it's very good. We'll be back with John Ward on the other side. Don't go anywhere, folks. It's the American Journal, InfoWars.com, InfoWarsStore.com. This is uh, one of the latest creations of my guest, John Ward, for Mad Men Only. I was blown away by the first uh, episode or two of this, and I'm very excited to have John Ward on the show to ask him questions about it. John Ward is an amazing content creator you can find on YouTube and Rumble, whose satirical videos have been getting closer and closer to reality. He's here with us today to tell us how he's learned to predict the future. You can find his website at johnwardcinematics.com on YouTube, John Ward Cinematics, and Rumble. Just John Ward. Mr. Ward, thank you so much for joining us on the American Journal today. Thank you for having me, Harrison. Wow. We meet again. I know. It's been a long time, and and this is uh, one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on. We had you on years ago when you were demonetized on YouTube. You've been one of my favorite creators for years, like since, you know, 2016. And it was was such a bummer to see you uh, kicked off of YouTube. And then... I start seeing your videos pop up again and going back and looking at the history. It looks like you looks like there's a couple year gap in there that there's no content. There's you started making content again about six months ago. But before that, the early the next video is like four years ago. What's been going on, John Ward? Where where you been? Have you have I just been missing your content or did, did you take a break? What's been happening with John Ward? Yes. So I've done something I've not seen anyone else do. This is not a humble brag, by the way. It was probably a terrible business decision, but I was never in this for the business. So, yes, we talked years and years ago. I had, I think I had like a four-year run, and it hit up till right after the fake election crap stuff, the fake election stuff. And I took a step back and realized I was not – really accomplishing what I was wanting to accomplish. So for the past two years, I've vanished into the wilderness. I've made various objects and simple machines with rocks and sticks and fibrous materials, fibrous organic materials, and it came to me. I had an epiphany of, of, of what I wanted to do and what ought to be done. We have this terrific thing that's been built up that InfoWars spearheaded, honestly. That is a very direct media 
apparatus. What there is not, and there's just starting one step back for a second, there's also been a lot of really good um, uh, documentaries being made. Um, and that whole thing is being built up. But what there's not yet is a straight-up fictional, not directly political, entertaining on uh, two dimensions, one being a kind of film you can just watch and enjoy, uh, but then also on another level something that is part of the culture war that has some social commentary and whatnot. So that has been the crux, if you will, of my efforts and I pop back out of the woods because uh, we've started working on it. And so this is a featured film. That's what I'm saying in a very ridiculous way. <laughs> We're making a feature film um, amongst other things. So the monomyth you showed, which thank you. Thank you very much. Um, that's a that's a separate series. And then the breaking news is a satirical, you know, making fun of how the news is. But the main project is the film. The working title currently is Harambe died for this. You know who Harambe is, Harrison? Of, uh, of course. Rest in peace. The, the gorilla that was killed uh, that, that set this whole thing well, in motion. How many people know that he was a personal, it, it struck right there when he went down because he was a close friend of mine. And so I got to thinking after I stepped away from YouTube and I'm sitting there in the woods making these simple machines and using these fibrous materials, um, how, how I could, you know, honor his memory. Um, and this story just sort of came to me. And the story is this, if someone to, to were say summon the spirit of Harambe, Harambe, the white, if you will, not unlike Gandalf's resurrection, of course, right? This is the monomyth. Mm -hmm. um, and he took a personal offense to the fact that he was killed while protecting a child. And we wove into that this very real life narrative about abortion. Great subject matter for humor. We could for uh, I didn't see any reason we couldn't make a feature length horror comedy. You with me still? Oh, I'm, oh, I'm with you. I'm 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 wrapped. I know. I know you're literally listening. But this is the point where I start getting stares, mostly mostly fear-based stares is my interpretation. It's just a lot of it's just a really high concept idea. It's hard for people to process it all at once. There's just too many good things I just said about it. Um, and so uh, there he is. Hero, hero and a friend, gentleman and a scholar. Uh, almost almost a messiah in your telling. That is, um, do you know what mojuste means? Have you ever heard that term? M-O-T space J-U-S-T-E, French term meaning a uh, 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 good word, a right word. Ernest Hemingway was all about mojuste, that there is a perfect word out there for every situation. And you, my friend, just nailed it. He was a messiah. <laughs> and, of course, and of course, he's he's been your logo for a long time. It's don't tread on me. But uh Harambe yes. in there and people might be confused right now and if if you don't understand what John Ward is saying you got to go watch his videos because like I said the first video of yours I saw in years and it was such a you you went to the woods you've made your triumphant return now and you've got this series called the mono myth and it starts out with I'll admit what 
came off at first blush like insane rambling, completely disconnected from any, <laughs> from any semblance of reality. But then by the end of the video, everything you said at the beginning of the video somehow makes perfect sense. And I was so like impressed by, by what I was watching. I was like, I got I to gotta ask John Ward about this. What is this? So people know the monomyth, uh, the hero's journey. Joseph Campbell popularized it. He basically had this theory that every persistent story, uh, you know, um, trans, uh, transcendental story that humanity tells follows the same sort of path. And you're sort of applying this to modern politics in a way that that really did shock me. And then, of course, you've got the breaking news segments, which I can say, you know, we all watch funny videos and, and you're lucky if you get a little hmm. Right. Like a little hmm. I was I was literally cracking up watching your videos, like laughing out loud. Couldn't stop laughing. Had to reverse it a couple times just to hear what you said. It is one of the funniest series I've ever heard. Uh, the breaking news series. So I do encourage people to go uh, watch John Ward's videos. But I personally am, am sort of obsessed with the monomyth series that you're doing. And and again, how you sort of weave all of these ideas that seem utterly insane at the beginning, but by the end, you sort of tie it all up. It's an extremely skillful uh, work, and I, I do have to have a, a dictionary open while you're doing it because you come up with uh, words like the one you just said that I don't understand, but uh, are, are very poignant. I didn't come up with that, to no, be fair. Right, right. Not that you come up with, but that you introduced <laughs> to me. So so tell me, are are we in the monomyth right now, John? Is this a part of the – is this right now a part of the monomyth, what we're doing here? Yeah, I'll do my best to, to answer that, uh, honestly. With It's going to be kind of roundabout, just like the video, because I think part so, – so let me get a uh, break character here for a second and give you a serious answer because you've been so unnecessarily respectful about what you're calling my work. Um, and so I appreciate that. But, but um, yes, this is not an original – uh, great revolutionary idea, the term mono, myth, right? Mono, one, myth, story. It's the one story. Uh, any kind of high IQ, IQ in general is about recognizing patterns. So I'm just kind of retelling what you just said here from the way I, I came to it. There is a pattern uh, to the way human behavior evolves over longer periods of time where, in my belief, they will sort of create a nice beard there. They will sort of create um, to self-fulfilling. Every time you use a term, it becomes wrong, but in a sense, a self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. And so... Oh, in this two-year break, I sat down and I said, what is the problem, right? So I, I knew I wasn't doing, wasn't accomplishing what I wanted to do. It seemed like everybody in the media were still kind of there. Um, there's, we haven't solved this yet. I think we're getting closer, but, um, and the dialogue has been great. And that's part of what helped me come to all of this, uh, my own little model here. But what is the problem? If you ask people this, uh, everybody kind of sneers at you and says, of course, I know what the problem is. OK, you, you moneyball them. You're Billy Bean, you're Brad Pitt. OK, what is the problem? And then you might get uh, one specific part of the problem. The border is open. Yes, I know that's part of the problem. But what is the reduce the problem for me? Right. To like once this is actually kind of what your job is. Literally, you know, the yes. better you do that, the more people will watch you. And then you start to understand that whole influencer part of this ecosystem is not only is there this one story, 
that in my opinion is objective. It is objectively real. Some people notice this um, consciously. Some people, I think, intuit it and, and behave accordingly. But what's really happening with the media, or even when you talk to somebody about anything on the street, is it becomes this battle of whose story is right. Right. You know, is my CNN story superior to InfoWars story? Is it, um, this is not a statement yet about is anybody lying or anything like that, but that is, it's the narrative. That term is out there everywhere, right? right? So that means the same thing. It's a story. And uh, so what you look at when you see out there the first episode of the monomyth, I mentioned this old old Latin epic poem, The Pig War. That's what I see. I see a war between pigs. We're all kind of sloppy and perfect animals. There's some older ones that have been around longer that have more pig food. And I want that pig food. <laughs> and I'm a little broke at, bro, oh, I told myself I wasn't going to swear this time. Um, so. My story is that I'm this, uh, you know, you have all the nice stuff and their story is we'll work harder and it's a war of stories and there's many ways you can tell these stories. And then the influencers are the storytellers. Uh, I think I kind of fall into that category. I've never really gone anywhere because every time somebody wants to give me money to tell their story, they say, you're pretty good at telling stories. You want to tell a story for me? I say, nah. <laughs> it's my story. So, and then you can, of course, see the influencers who very willingly will tell other people's stories. And so, um, what is that story? I am the hero, and you are the villain. I've got like 11 more episodes of this to make, but being reductionist a little bit. So, um, and then how does my story overlap with, say, your story? I think we're on the same side, whatever that is. I I don't know. We've fully defined what these sides are. Uh, And so we begin that journey is what are the things I care about? What are my deal breakers? Right. I'm not going to be on your team, Harrison, if you're wearing a one of those unicorn. I don't know if you can say the D the D I L D O word, but on your forehead, I'm going to say, nah, that's a deal breaker. Harrison, you're off my team. That's like wearing the white hand of Sauron on my helmet. (laughs) That's some Sauron headgear, bro. Yeah. No, it's uh, but there's lots yeah. of things on it. Yeah, there's lot. I like. I, I've learned that some stuff. I don't think I really care about enough to kick you off my team, and so that's part of the problem is having that discussion, in 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 putting on this character that I'm sort of putting on now. Although for me, I genuinely I have a problem in not caring what people think about me. I'm working on that. I think most people have the the opposite problem. They care too much. But um. So anyway. I realized I could not define what the problem was. I realized the way to define it was not doing a bunch of media news about what's going on literally, but but there's a story. So what is that story? And then that evinces, makes clear, um, as you've been talking, been watching your show, it's been very good, uh, the Ukraine. So, of course, there's a wider story that I'm not going to get into, which is, how was the universe formed? Is God real? Where does it all start? Where do we come from? I, I find that super interesting. I'd be happy to talk about that. But uh, the story, as it is immediately important right now, is the election and right. needing to get the best, best possible outcome, which is 
ideally just winning it and having things be normal. <laughs> uh, I don't know that that's possible. You can talk about that if you want. Uh, I'm well, not concerned trolling, blackpilling anybody, but yeah. No. So I've been rambling. No, well, I, but yeah, go but it's fascinating, and I think it, it it's uh, you know Ukraine might be sort of the the best example, but as you point out, it is the monomyth. It sort of is embodied in everything that we talk about, and whether it's Trump, you know, the story that you're that's being told, it really is a, a battle of stories. And so on one side, the story is big bad Russia invades Ukraine because they're evil. And on the other side, the story being told is America is big and bad and is corrupting Ukraine and Russia is going to defend itself. And it's it's literally the two sides trying to tell that story and convince the most amount of people, the majority of the people, that their version of the story is right. Even though you know, you sort of the, the main events are the same in each story. There's other events. Some events are left out of one version. Some events are left out of the others. Some are heightened right. of importance. In one version, yeah, in one version, the, you, we're the good guys, and it's the same story, but it's just they're the good guys, and we're, you know what I mean? So, exactly. And it's, you know, not lost on me. I'm, I figured you'd understand this because the name of your company here is, is essentially Story Wars. Right. Exa- that's I mean, exactly that's, it, the battle of the narratives. Yes. So this isn't um, – you don't need to be too nice as if I've figured something out, you know. I think I think maybe Alex Jones was on to it before me. Speaking of which, I need you to get Alex Jones to be in my film. You know, honestly, I'd, I – I wouldn't put it past him. We'll, we'll, do, we'll have to talk about that off air. We'll have our people call your people. But I do think it, it sort of falls right in line of, of what we do here. And we've been playing this week uh, some, some AI creations. It's a cameo. It'll be a, it's well, it's a not a starring role. Harrison. You're not, suge- money. you're not suggesting he play Harambe or anything like that. He's not a main starring role. It's, it's a very small time commitment. For the biggest punchline in the movie. <laughs> okay, well, we'll have, to, we'll have to talk about. It. I can't make any. Uh, I can't confirm or deny a, his a billion dollars. Let's start started a billion. A billion. <laughs> what do you say? You're not as. We get you AI, Alex Jones. Harrison, I need you to be in this film also. I would. I would love to be in this film. So we've talked about monomyth and the the breaking news uh, segments that you do, which again are just like I I literally can't. You know what happens to me? The reason I. I don't watch your YouTube videos as much as I like to listen to YouTube and do other stuff. But what I find is I'll put on your video while I'm doing dishes and I end up just standing there holding my phone at the kitchen sink because I because the the visual part is actually a major part of it. And I'm missing stuff if I'm not hyper focused on it. So your your content sort of requires attention, which is different than a lot of other content, but it, it makes it superior in a lot of ways. Again, in case you're just tuning in, my guest is John Ward, johnwardcinematics.com, on YouTube at John Ward Cinematics, and on Rumble at John Ward. And uh, you're coming out with this uh, breaking news stuff. But we've been showing these AI creations recently where it's Tucker Carlson or Alex Jones narrating the, the story of Lord of the Rings. And whether it's Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. or Fly in the Witch in the Wardrobe or Gilgamesh or the story of the Bible or what's happening in our daily lives, there is this continuity of storytelling. And in the monomyth, you really get into Putin and Tucker and how they represent uh, heroes and and figures within the monomyth hero's journey uh, that Joseph Campbell came up with. That, of course, was the basis of things like Star Wars, like, you know, George Lucas was Joseph Campbell's 
student. Oh, yeah, openly, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, and just took what he taught and said, I'm going to make a movie where we hit all of these points in the, in the monument. So there's something that humans do resonate with when we hear this because it's real, and that's an underlying part of the monument series that you're doing where it's like this isn't a story out of nowhere. It's not something we made up. It's something we discovered almost. Would that be a good way of putting it? Yeah, I'll, here's the analogy I'll use that kind of just popped into my head, so hopefully it's okay. But um, the visual light spectrum right now, you and I are seeing on the low end, what is it, 350 nanometers red, my hat. Mm. And then all the way up to, I believe, 750 nanometers blue or violet, some stuff behind me there, right? There is much more visual, you know, or light outside of those wavelengths, so infrared, below red, and ultraviolet above violet and yet because that's sort of the spectrum we see everything we do is based on what well, you know when it comes to color to on those colors it's just it's something that's wired into our eyeballs some animals are different some have less some have more some have cones it's irrelevant for human beings that is what you're going to get if you do things that are visually based so what i'm saying is i i believe it's real in that way that we have this architecture in our brain that uh, processes information in, in amongst many other ways, but when it synthesizes that information and presents it to what I might call your conscious you to then make a decision or interpretation, it, it forms a story. Part of the cognitive dissonance here, I see your timer, I'll wrap it up, I, but I mean, just part of what's is that you form this, this happens to me right now, I see what happens, I form this story, you were talking about this as well, and you go, what? That's craziness. This story is terrible. It's terrible and it's awful, and then if that goes on long enough, you start to want a different story, and I believe they call that a revolution. Mm. We want a real, yeah, and we want to, uh, well, but uh, but then that revolution becomes part of a larger story. It's sort of a uh, a, f- a fugue right. happening where you've got stories within stories all building to a bigger story. Uh, it, it it's a fascinating way of looking at at geopolitics. Like it's and it, it does align with uh, infowars to a huge well, degree. Quickly here, I see the one minute, but I mean, well, if, let's, if, um, if you, if, you, know, if you can, I'd love to. I'd love to have you stay on. So let's not worry about the timer. I, sure. I want to hear what you have to say. I'm gonna forget though. What I was talking about. Oh shoot! Sorry. Do you remember? <laughs> no, I, no. I'll be with you. Okay. Well, uh, yeah. We we got a minute left here in in this segment. Uh, but so go on, please. I'm oh, sorry to interrupt. Oh sure. Yeah. No. No sweat. Um, see, I just stories within stories. Fugue well. state. I'm in it right now. I'm there. <laughs> this is part of the hero's journey. This is the fall. Yeah. I'm uh, no, but enjoying, in, in, enjoying this hero. Um. Oh man! See, I was trying to be professional here and 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 have this little lead out thing. Oh well, that's where you, that's where just, you messed up. I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll take it over. It. We'll 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 recombine our forces on the other yeah, side. I'll, re, I'll resynthesize my story. Yes, please do. John Ward, amazing content creator, YouTube and Rumble. John Ward Cinematics dot com on YouTube at John Ward Cinematics on Rumble at John Ward. 
one of my favorite creators ever from uh, back in the in the good old Trump days of 2016. He disappeared off the face of the earth, uh, doing something with mysterious fibers in the woods for a couple years <laughs> before making his triumphant return to the internet to entertain, bamboozle, uh, and baffle us all with his uh, content. That you can tell there's something underneath it that you're not quite grasping, which makes you want to watch it even more. We'll be back with more from John Ward. It's the American Journal on Infowars.com. Stay with us. You are in the monomyth, the one story, the monomyth. I am talking about something I can best describe as analogous to the mathematical discovery of zero, that the story is a quantifiable unit that can be modeled. You can't hold it in your hand the way you can't hold a literal pound per square inch, yet nevertheless it is real and it affects your life as does the sun, or perhaps to say it perfectly because I like you, as does gravity and as does entropy. That is a story. Keep shaking your head. It shouldn't make sense yet. But I will make it make sense right now with a story. The monomyth. That is my guest, John Ward at JohnWardCinematics.com. John Ward Cinematics on YouTube and on Rumble at John Ward. We are in the monomyth. And I want to get into some political stuff uh, with with John because, you know, he does this breaking news series that, <clears throat> excuse me, breaks down uh, some of the some of the latest with uh, that's not you, is it, John? You're not on, on X, are you? Oh. Hold on, I Elon's lost. gonna kill me now. Okay, well, for, forget that. Ignore that. At not John Ward is not John Ward. Okay, we disavow not what was just it on is screen. Literally in the username that it is not John Ward. Right? How could it be if it says not John Ward? So do not follow. Gonna, not now John I'm gonna Ward. have to make definitely not John Ward. <laughs> Thanks, man. So, so that's the crew's fault for being too good at finding things online. Uh, I don't care. I don't care if it gets banned. I don't care. It's all good. Well, you might not. I mean, X is X is a is a whole new world. But I wanted to. But you do this breaking news series where you you break down as as in the the title breaking news. You're you're covering the uh, primaries and and doing a very good job making fun of Nikki Haley in a way that is just just <laughs> brutal beyond description. So I do want to talk to you about that. But since we're on the topic of monomyth and how it does correlate to what we do here at InfoWars, where we're constantly saying this is a spiritual war, this is a informational war, this is it is a war of narratives. You know, we say these things all the time and I, I love it in the monomyth series. You say you are in the monomyth. If you're hearing this, you are a participant in this story being told that humanity is telling. And what I always think of is a famous conversation that happened between J.R.R. Tolkien, author of Lord of the Rings, and C.S. Lewis, author of the Narnia series, amongst a lot of other really great stuff, where J.R.R. Tolkien is – he sort of breaks through C.S. Lewis's atheism by pointing out the presence of what at the time wasn't even called the monomyth, but this idea of stories that we naturally adhere to that naturally attracts humanity and saying you know, at its basis – it's really the story of Christ, of Jesus Christ. It has the rise. It has the fall, the tragedy, the uh, the Eucharist, the the rising up. And it conforms, as so many people know, I mean, uh, J.K. Rowling, when asked about Harry Potter before the last book was out, what's going to happen? She said, well, if you know what happened to Jesus, you're going to know what happens to Harry Potter. So it's like these things that, that become cultural icons, they stick to this story that I agree sort of has its basis in Christianity or rather Christianity has its basis in that because it's real. It's kind of complicated, but this to me is sort of a key aspect of the spiritual war that we're fighting. 
and how we constantly are, are entreating people to adhere to reality, to pay attention to reality, to understand what is real over what is false. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? And, and how does spirituality or religion, you know, fold into your, your monomyth vision of the world? Super easy and simple question, Harrison. Thank you. Let me just spit out an, a, a straight answer here in 10 seconds. Yeah, 10 seconds. Go. Um, it's cool that you think about this stuff, obviously, breaking character again. But I, I think about it quite a lot. I thought about it uh, for those two years, I think. Hold on. I would strongly, number one, recommend this. I didn't write it. Can I, can I do this? But uh, this is an older book by a psychologist, Julian James, The Origin of Consciousness and the Breakdown of the Bicameral Mind. Oh. Uh, ooh, did my volume just change wildly? Are we still good? No, I think we're still good. Okay. Maybe just on my end. Um, and then you're talking about uh, Tolkien and, and Lewis, a guy I would, would highly recommend throwing in there. You, you might know this one, G.K. Chesterton. Of course. Orthodoxy, yeah. Yeah. Sure, yeah. Um, and so starting with him real quick, he has a great in orthodoxy, I believe, a uh, little anecdote, the, the white post. Okay. And it's uh, paraphrasing something like this. Okay, everybody has a post, you know, outside your, your house. Your, it's a fence. You're, you want it to look nice, right, is the idea, this, this fence post, whatever it is. It's just a post. I don't know why he chose post, but he did. And he goes, okay, you want this nice white-looking post out in front of your house. How do you get a white-looking post? Will you put a white post there and leave it and it just stays white forever? No. Right. Everybody knows this. It's kind of a hassle, honestly. If you want a white post and you do nothing, it turns into a gross brown post. Right. So you, every time it looks like that, you got to go out there and paint it white again. And so in my opinion, what he's kind of talking about, and I mentioned this in the monomyth, this, again, when you say, what is the problem? How do you, what is this fundamental dichotomy, if you will, that I'm thinking about with problems and solutions? It's kind of, in my opinion, like that white post thing. Gravity and entropy. Entropy, that things tend to disorder. Gravity, this force that will pull those disordered things into order mm. over time. I kind of, Harrison, I think the universe is alive. Right. I'm Sam Neill, and this is uh, Event Horizon. And we're ready to go, and we don't need eyes! But it, there's been scientific, Hell, there, you know, the, the, there. The, the two slit experiment, uh, experience, right? outcomes change on whether or not it's being observed to me that's as close as we've gotten so far to scientific proof that the universe is somehow conscious and cares what we think about it i actually think that too slit garbage is just detector interference but stephen wolfram who i'm sure you've heard of right now he's working what what i think you find it doesn't surprise me is that the guys working on artificial intelligence have sort of accidentally come to a much better understanding of intelligence of consciousness Mm. and that uh it kind of can arise from this back and forth dialogue between two different things that are inside of your head at the same time i don't know if you talk to yourself i do often uh yeah right and so oh again this kind of idea there's more than one i I think everybody kind of has one them right this is me john and you Harrison, and yet at the same time, 
you know, especially in private private moments, there's probably many Harrisons, and they often might fight with each other. You know, I, I, and, I don't always agree with what I think. Yeah, <laughs> that's, a, that's a it's a great T-shirt right there. Um, and so this monomyth, and I've tried to articulate this to some degree. Again, this I've got one out of twelve, I believe, videos uh, and eleven left to go. It's it's yes, the final. Star Wars-y confrontation with Darth Vader does eventually happen. But before that, there is a mirror image of that journey that happens inwards and downwards, right? Luke Skywalker in, in, in the original Star Wars, which are real stories, not the new one, which is right. Mary Sue. Which is why nobody likes them, because they don't adhere to this sort of right. formula. Well, so, yeah, and I kind of, I think, talk about that, too. But I, this is what, again, had led me to, to understand this is something wired into people rather than something maybe that you learn, is if you see a bad example of a story, you don't like it. Just no one needs to teach you not to like it. And this isn't just left versus right didn't like the new Star Wars. Nobody liked it. Right. And... um you know, I watched the original. I don't necessarily think Luke Luke Skywalker is an avatar for me. I'm not as him, but that sort of timeless and fundamental story of he doesn't start as a superhero. He's just some nobody. He has potential. Right. I mean, we're watching. We watched the Star Wars story about some guy that didn't have. That's not interesting. That's not a good story. So he has to have, you know, the potential, but. But he does, and then he's got to fail and try and, you know, not try, as Yoda says. Over and over again, he learns that lesson. You just don't quit, Yoda says, right? He's Yoda is Arlie Ermey, if you didn't know. Interesting. I'm going to have to puzzle um, that. I'm going to have to puzzle through that connection here during the break. Hold on. Hold on. Hang, hang on there. Hang on there, John. we got one more segment uh, on the other side, 10-minute segment with John Ward. JohnWardCinematics.com. John Ward Cinematics on YouTube, on Rumble at John Ward, and definitely not John Ward on X. That's not him. Definitely not. All right. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Final segment of the American Journal, InfoWars.com, Band.Video. Remember, you can support us by going to InfoWarsStore.com. That is the only way that we're able to bring you this this intriguing if not somewhat baffling content with uh, great content creators like john ward bodies 40 percent off right now infowarsstore.com lots of great products but best of all it keeps us on the air a true 360 win john ward is my guest john ward cinematics on youtube at john ward cinematics on rumble at john ward not on x at not john ward just so we're perfectly clear you've been uh, like i said uh, sort of teased in the last segment you've been doing a lot of coverage of the the primaries uh, what is your what is your prediction of 2024? And does the monomyth and putting things in this context, do you think it helps you get better at figuring out what comes next? Because I feel like thinking of things like a story and stories being told, it sort of helps me play out into the future. OK, what is the story we're being told? Just like when you're watching a movie and you're going, all right, what's what's going to be the outcome of this conflict that I'm watching on screen? I think about geopolitics in that way and think about what, you know, what comes next? What's the uh, ultimate res uh, result here? What do you see happening this year as things are just getting crazier and crazier? Well, yeah, so it's it's a useful tool. The word I would use is it's a heuristic. It's a it's a it's a shortcut to avoid having to think about the same thing. Uh, every single time. For example, racial crime statistics are a heuristic. Interesting. Okay, so that that's what that word means. 
There's a reason racism is hardwired. There's an in-group by an out-group bias that's wired into people of every color. Right. And every every other animal, too. So, but um, it's a useful tool. That being said is so I think it's useful because we are quite literally being told stories that we're trying to be convinced to become a reader of, so to speak. Uh, there, I don't believe when you get really down to objective reality, right, the, the sun and the moon and, and random acts of God or nature, whatever you want to call it, um, we're not really in control of any of that stuff. And a lot of that kind of stuff could happen in unpredictable ways, um, right? So everybody knows this. In terms of this, the story I think they're trying to feed us is, is to accept the continuation of this BS system. Mm. Uh, capital S system, which has all the many things you understand and talk about, uh, which which comes down to this: what is the problem? There's a, a financial problem. There's a spiritual problem. There's a, you know, blah blah blah. So you get the idea. Yeah. What I think it seems like everybody wants to happen, the story we want, although there's not agreement on the characters in that story, who's playing what role, but is for all this noise to stop and shenanigans to stop and get back to the way the country was, gosh, at least like 30 years ago at the very least, you know, something, something kind of nice. And then yet also part of this story was the warning to be aware of the system making concessions to rope you back in. And so that's a Mm. personal decision, I think, however you want to interpret that there's some caution that's necessary at also the same time, you got to live your life. Right. Right, Um, Absolutely. I've got a lot of trouble getting some of my homies to come on my show. I'm talking about these guys are like plumbers, right? Nobody's going to come murder them for their opinions. (laughs) Maybe they're they're wives, (laughs) but, um, Part of the story that's already happened to us is this developing this fear of going out in public. We're agoraphobic on the Internet of all places, uh, which is wild and stupid. Uh, And I'm not doing that this year. And that's why you see my ridiculous face and behavior right now. No, but anyway, we all we all benefit from it. I mean, I don't I see. A faction. That is ostensibly fronted by Donald Trump, who I think is a decision maker in that faction. But um, I would like that faction to win and see what it does with a little bit of control of the reins here. That's what I would like to happen. I don't think that faction necessarily is sitting there. What can we do to make John Ward happy? But I'm also old enough. To not really need that kind of thing anymore, nor is it ever something I wanted. Whenever people start looking at me too hard, I vanish for two years from a from a two hundred thousand subscriber YouTube channel. I think I, I gotta be the only person who's ever done that. And again, I'm not bragging. I'm just insane. Don't do that if you have a YouTube channel. It's terrible for business. <laughs> it's a, well, you're not you're not making decisions uh, based on business. Obviously, it's a higher. No, I'm living my yeah, exactly. And again, it, I I honestly think it 
I hope it resonates with our audience because it certainly resonates with me. And I, I often talk about – first of all, I went on a big rant last for the show on Wednesday just being like, all we want is normal. We just want normal things to be normal, not have to constantly be defending ourselves from these like insane I – got, I got videos here of, of, of people in office saying pedophiles should be given toys that look like children. It's like oh, it's, yeah. if we could just not be bombarded with that, we could actually solve real problems. So certainly what you're saying about that – resonates but then you also i get why people that aren't tuned into this don't think about this sort of stuff could see rants from people like me or you or alex jones and going they're crazy man they think that you know a demon statue in houston is connected to the war in ukraine and somehow that goes from that to the the cattle being rounded up and killed you know for climate change and climate change and so we're jumping from thing to thing to thing it's because we're, we're like struggling to express that there's a continuity between all of it that's under the surface somewhere. Well, right. And when you start to notice that in like InfoWars was at, again, the cutting edge of all of this, but, but you, you've got to go through your babbling schizo phase. Right. Uh, and the problem is you should probably not try to connect with an audience when you're in your babbling <laughs> schizo phase. I don't know. The, the babbling uh, schizo audience I mean, turns out to be, be incredibly lucrative if you just <laughs> embrace it, if you just shile a buffet. You know, it can work out sometimes. Hey, it can work. But I but but I mean, it's you know, you, you start to it always starts with, hey, there's something wrong. I mean, there's a problem. And then the next step is what are the problem? So so I'll, so I'll kind of finish off because this might take these remaining few minutes here. But this is a super important part of the monomyth. And you set me up perfectly <laughs> is the refusal of the, uh, there's a call to adventure. But right. then what every hero does. And again, the hero isn't this superhero. That is the whole point. The very first thing you do when you start to notice this shit is it over the the truth and the enormity of how I I personally hesitate to use work, words like dark or scary or evil, um, although it is those things for right. what it's worth. But <clears throat> you know the god I god so to speak I, I subscribe to the one who I feel like is pulling my strings is sort of the prankster and the trickster mm. that we're we're coming from the angle of we're gonna pants Satan and then part on his face and sack whack him. <laughs> really? I just I don't think you can talk serious smack to the devil. I think that's his game. You uh, you gotta uh, mock him. He hates laughter. Yeah. Him archetype of you know Odysseus was a trickster and etc etc so we're Peter Pan in this one Harrison absolutely and so you've got the the call to, the up. call to action the refusal of the call and then there's got to be an I intervention kind of where we're between the call and the refusal sort of stage and this Putin thing for a lot of people with Tucker Carlson not saying Putin is your mentor I haven't made this video yet I'll make that clear but just the information there that you're suddenly able to access, which is, in my opinion, the whole value of that Tucker Carlson interview, right. is just, hey, man, sit there and watch the whole thing and, and make up your own mind right. of what you think you just saw. But um, Putin says a lot of mentor-esque things in there. Uh, one of them that's been totally lost is, hey, I don't want to have World War Three guys. Right. Maybe he's lying. I don't know. But um, I'd rather entertain that dialogue to start now then let's have world war three which seems to be what the biden administration is headed towards 100 and uh again i'm old enough now i got i got buddies that were in all that stuff 
you know, a decade or whatever back. And that's the wrong place to go right now. So there's a better story out there. And again, it is it is a combat between two narratives, between two stories where one side thinks that Darth Vader is good and Luke Skywalker's evil and the other side actually has the story correct. I do think there's a there's an objective side to this and there's the the lying side. I agree. Which again, there's something in it that makes people just like watching the new Star Wars movies where you go, the graphics are good, the acting was good, the music was great and but it just doesn't resonate. There's something missing from it. It's cuz it's missing that spiritual grounding. Great example of all, all the pieces being being right and it and it's just not right. It's just exactly. all, yeah, absolutely incredible stuff. Folks, and a child can tell you that. Right, that even if they good. can't express it, they can just go, I don't know, it's kind of weird. Incredible stuff. John Ward, John Ward Cinematics, John Ward Cinematics on YouTube, or JohnWardCinematics.com. Get Alex Jones in my movie. Get yeah, Alex We're, we're going to talk Get after, John. We're going to talk after. Get your producers in my movie. You, you, you calm down. Bring his audio down. We'll be, we'll be back on Monday.